It's game day at Raising Cane's. If you want to order like a saint, it's the action off the field you need to focus on. The only play you're running is chicken. So what combo are you picking? Make it a perfect season. We've got tailgates of hand-battered, cooked-to-order chicken fingers and cane sauce and jugs of freshly made tea and lemonade, all available to order online or on our app. This season is about to be unbeatable. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. (laughs) Official chicken finger of the Saints. Yes, it is guru time. There we go. Derek Galloway. Uh, what's happening, my man? And uh, where else are we here? Matthew Goodka. Good morning, Ian McFadden. SG Nav Spotter. Good to see you again. Driftwood. Welcome to SOR Chat. And uh, who else is? Midnight Sasquatchers, because there's no squatching here. We do not squatch in this area. We Sasquatch. Michael Fontaine. How are you? Thanks for coming on in. Jenny White Bear, good to see you. And we're waiting for Bill WD-40 to lube us up for tonight's show. There's Bill. He's in the Spreaker chat, lubing it up right now as we speak. Paramarv, good to see you. And uh, Chicken Leg 71 welcome to SOR chat. Love the name, by the way. Mike Rivers, good to see you. I will get back to you, I promise. I had a busy day today. Um, scrolling on down. Amy Vegas O. Oh. The lovely and talented one right there. Hey, everybody, I need a favor from all of you. Throw your horns up. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of our headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We got a power show of awesomeness tonight. Not only an awesome beard from our guest, Justin Decker, but we're going to get into some Bigfoot with him as well and other cryptids crawling around the grounds around North America. Then in hour number three, Steve Stockton returns with another weird story from Among the Missing. Robin McRae wraps things up with the cryptid report. Justin Decker is fast gaining momentum and recognition in the crypto community as his extensive research and vast knowledge of mysterious creatures are both captivating and intriguing fellow researchers throughout the nation. Justin, who now resides in the epicenter of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, is known for his astute insight into the fascinating field of cryptozoology, and his colleagues say he has a profound, thought-provoking theories and ideas that facilitate riveting cryptid discussions on media platforms such as podcasts. 
podcasts and radio shows like this one. He was born and raised in the Amazon jungle in Colombia, instilling within him uh, a lot of animals that could kill you. I'm going to edit that part. Just say a lot of animals that could kill you. But it's Bigfoot that he loves to try and track. Let's bring him on in here. Justin Decker, welcome to Spaced Out Radio for the first time. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and, and talk with your audience and just kind of hang out. You grow up in Colombia in the northern reaches of the Amazon where literally everything wants to kill you. First off, how did you survive yep. that? I mean, caimans and alligators and crocodiles and piranha and garfish and and sharks and <laughs> snakes, about 72 different types of vipers down there. How did you do it, my man? You know, it was just normal everyday life for me, to be honest with you. Um, I was born and raised out there. I spent a lot of time out in the Amazon jungle. Uh, my parents were missionaries, and we lived with an indigenous tribe. They were considered a pre-Stone Age tribe. Uh, my dad's job with them was to basically learn their language and then figure out how to write it down. Uh, they had no written language whatsoever. Their language was unlike any other phenotype down there. And so it was starting from scratch. And some of my earliest and fondest memories of growing up in the jungle and just living jungle life. And, and you're right. We did have to look out for a lot of stuff, but it was routine. It was normal. You know, you shake your boots out before you put them on and you check your bed before you call in because you never know what kind of critters are going to be in there. Okay, what's the scariest thing that happened to you? I mean, I, I got to hear this, man. Oh, man. Um, the scariest thing for me personally was when I got lost in the jungle. And lost is kind of an overdramatic term, but for me it was absolutely terrifying. I was out walking with my brother and a couple of the, the natives. I still call them Indians because that's how I was raised. And I bent down to do something. And I looked up, and I was alone. There was nobody around me. I couldn't hear anything, and I was just petrified. Thankfully, I was crying loud enough that I got the attention of our, our natives that we were with, and they came back and, and rescued me and brought me back to the group. Okay. Uh, that right there would be the most terrifying moment when I thought I was lost as a young kid uh, in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Now, what would you have had to dodge for predators there? Jaguars? Uh, what else yep. would you have had to have dodged? Um, the only two land animals that we were really concerned about would have been the jaguars and the wild boars. Those were the, the two biggest things that would actively attack us and hurt us. So those were the two big ones. But like you said, we had to be wary of pretty much anything and everything that moved. You know, um, we had snakes all over the place. Most of the insect life down there, maybe not could kill you, but it would definitely injure you. So we were just always aware of what was around us. Wow. So how did this spark your interest in cryptids like Bigfoot? Well, growing up where we did... Uh, my dad always instilled in me the fact that we were seeing things and experiencing things that almost nobody else ever had. 
And that included animals and it included uh, fruits and all this other stuff. I remember on one occasion, uh, we, we took our baths in a creek down at the end of the airstrip. We didn't have a running water supply, so we would bathe down in this creek that they had built a dam in to kind of create a pool. And they had caught a water snake down there, and it was venomous. Now, what's unusual about that is, according to science, at least back then, I don't know now, but back then there were no venomous water snakes known in South America, in Colombia. And so this was an animal unknown to science that we had to worry about and we lived with. Every night when we went down to the creek to take our baths, we took our big flashlights and we would shine the creek to make sure there was no snakes or gators in there that we had to worry about. And so I grew up with this belief that there is more out there in the world than, than science could ever possibly know. And so what I like to say is I never learned to believe in Bigfoot encrypteds. I just never did not believe in them. That's actually a great attitude to have because, I mean, growing up in an area, I mean, they're still finding new species of animals in absolutely in South America and Central America. I mean, it's one of the most yep. untapped areas in the world where it comes to research. And absolutely, it's exciting to, to know. I mean, and you know, knowing that even even in that small little pond that was built for bathing knowing that you had to watch out and and they found a brand new species of of poisonous water snake i mean that's just incredible in itself i mean when did you return mm -hmm. to north america i was almost 10 years old uh, so my birthday is in november and we returned in june of 1991 so i was about nine and a half years old uh, when we came to the States uh, full-time. We had traveled to the States a couple times for vacations and medical reasons and things like that, um, but we returned full-time when I was about 10 years old. Now, with that, where did you settle? Where What made you all of a sudden learn about Bigfoot? How did you find out about this creature? Um, well, when I first heard about Bigfoot, would have been one of the times we were in the States. Um, and we were staying, I believe it was in Oconto, Wisconsin. Uh, we were staying at a parsonage there for, for a little time and a documentary came on and it's, it's literally your classic in search of Leonard Nimoy. And I just kind of saw it and my watching it with my dad and I was like, huh, I can see that. And, you know, I asked my dad if he believed in it and he was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, I never really thought much about it, but I don't see why not. And that would have been my very, very first introduction to what we know as Bigfoot. Had you ever seen the creature or seen evidence of it or heard people talk about it, you know, in a, in a restaurant? From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade, starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts or out for coffee or anything previous to that no not at all but you just not became addicted to it yeah well so what really tuned me into it um after i came to the states when i was 10 about 12 years of age i really got into just reading everything i could i liked mystery stuff so i started looking at Bigfoot and Loch Ness and all the classic stuff. I'd get books on folklore and read about manticores and just, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I remember talking about it with my dad one day. And he said, you know, I saw something kind of strange in the jungle. And I'm like, all right, well, well, tell me about it. And he goes on to describe how he was on one of his trips. Now, let me preface this with before we worked with the Indian tribe, My dad was what was called a contact missionary. He was literally a jungle explorer. His first job down there was to go into the jungle and find undiscovered, uncontacted new tribes of people. Okay. So they would hear rumors of tribes from other tribes or, or people would talk about seeing a native that they didn't know who they were. They were dressed differently or, or looked differently. And they would follow these rumors and try and find these tribes. So on one of these trips, uh, it was him and three other men. And they were uh, going by river to get deep into the jungle. They were off of a small uh, cano or a small river off of the San Bernardino River, which is in the Orinoco Basin in the Amazon jungle. And... You're traveling by boat. Now, traveling by boat is not like the movies where you're seeing all this wildlife and monkeys and birds flying over and and deer coming to take a drink. You're not seeing that because you have an outboard motor and the motor is scaring away all the animals. So you're lucky to see anything for hours and hours on end. It's rivers and trees and that's it. So they had to come around uh, a bend in the river. And up off in the distance, a few hundred yards up in the trees, up in the canopy, they saw four large, what at the time they just called monkeys. But my dad said the the thing was with these is they were huge. He said they were the size of a child or like a big chimpanzee is what he likened them to. Wow. And they saw them sitting up in the canopy. And for about five seconds or so before they caught the sound of the motor, and then when they caught the sound of the engine, he said they they took off lightning fast through the canopy and disappeared. And that was was the extent of the sighting. So I start questioning him. I said, you know, did you see tails? He said, no, we didn't notice any tails. There may have been, but we didn't, I don't recall seeing anything. Um, He said they were muscular, uh, but they were also lean he said they were kind of like giant spider monkeys he said how they moved through the trees um they were they reached and pulled the way spider monkeys do and they were super fast 
but he said they were huge. They were, they were massive, bigger than any other primate that they had ever seen down there. Okay. Now the thing to realize is that these guys would spend two months at a time in the jungle and they're not carrying a lot of food with them, right? They're hunting in the jungle. They know what to expect. They know the kind of animals that are going to be around, you know, that they train for this. This is what they do. And the largest monkeys we have down there, depending on if you're talking size or weight, uh, would have been like the black howler monkey, a big male black howler monkey, which are massive creatures. Or what we call churucos, or is a gray woolly monkey or a Jericho monkey. And there's the other very large uh, monkey, and they're also a prime food source for us. So my dad was very familiar with their size. And he said these things totally outstripped them. There was no comparison in size. Weird. So that, that was what really kind of got me going, like, wow, there's really something kind of to some of this stuff. Okay. And then he talked about what was really interesting, and I kind of tied this in with him, and then we discussed this. When we did move in with the other tribe, where I was grew up with and I was raised with, once my dad was able to learn their language a little better and, and the other men that he worked with, they, they heard of a creature that this tribe was familiar with. Now, this is not the same area of the jungle, a totally different area. They described a creature that they called Nimit. Okay. Dad always described it as kind of looking like the old Tasmanian devil cartoon. All right. So we're talking about five foot tall, covered in hair, walks on two legs with arms that hang down to its knees. Now, that's a pretty familiar description, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. Well, this creature came out at night, and if it caught any of the natives, any of the Indians away from the safety of the fire in the family unit there, it would catch them and kill them and drain their blood. Oh, pleasant. Yeah, so this creature was their boogeyman, essentially. During the day, it would sleep in hollowed-out trees and tree stumps and places where it would find shelter like that in the trees and come out at night and prowl the woods. Now, our natives, they didn't have a religion. They didn't have, uh, um, like, folklore and spirit creatures and all this. They They didn't have that. Their life was rooted in their life experiences. You know, they didn't have deities. They, they didn't have anything like that. They had life. They had food. They had family. That's what they focused on, you know. Yes. And so to them, this wasn't a legend. This was a real creature, just as real as a jaguar, just as real as anacondas, just as real as the tapers, just as real as any other animal out there. Okay. And I kind of tied the two together. You know, my dad had this sighting of these large unknown apes. And then the Indians also have this legend of a very similar creature. And to me, that really cemented and crazed me about really going after the Bigfoot phenomenon and starting to really study it at a really young age. 
I'm loving this so far. I am loving this so far. <laughs> Justin, I mean, the fact that we hear that there are these Sasquatch-like creatures all around the world, from the Yahweh to the Yeti to the Abominable mm-hmm. Snowman in Russia to Sasquatch and Bigfoot in North America, and now to these Yiddish or, or whatever they're called down mimic. in Mimic. Or, yeah, I mean, this is just incredible. I mean, how often are these seen yep. down there? Or are they just part of the um, the time? Very rarely. It was one of those very rarely things. Like, you may have heard one of the, the Indians described his grandfather running into one or, you know, one of those, this guy from this other tribe that's not here right now ran into one during the daytime kind of a thing. But generally it was if you ran into one and it was nighttime, it, you didn't come back, you know. So it, it was just another one of those real creatures you just looked out for, and is a reason why you stayed close to your fire and your family. I can see that. I can see that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's the same thing here. What would attract them? Would it be children laughing and screaming? Would it be uh, people wandering away on their own in the darkness? Yeah, the, the idea was they stayed away from – uh, the family culture. So I'm not using the word village because this tribe was a nomadic hunter and gatherer tribe. They didn't have villages. They would travel from place to place, area to area, following, you know, food sources, um, following raw materials. If if they needed to go make a new batch of spears or a ba- batch of blow guns, they would travel to the area of jungle that had the materials they needed it, you know, that kind of a thing. So they were very nomadic. If they did build a structure, it was basically what we would call a pavilion, upright poles and a roof. Down there, we called them malocas. And that was only for like a base camp kind of a thing. And the maloca would house the entire clan that was traveling. And then other clans would come to that area as kind of a resting point and then that kind of a thing. They built one where we had our house and airstrip, so they had a place to stay when they came to see us. Um, and so it wasn't a village. It was literally a clan. And the way these Indians moved is it might be, you know, one family unit or it might be two or three family units traveling together. And they would break off and, and meet other groups and combine here and, and form other groups. And they, they were just kind of very all over the place. And but how, how many, sorry for interrupting, how, how many in the no. family unit? It, it would depend, a mom and the, the husband and the kids, sometimes, you know, mother-in-law kind of a thing. Um, not very big groups. I think the biggest group my dad had said he had ever seen come out of the jungle at one time was about 60 individuals. And that was a massive group. Right. So they live more like nomads. Yeah, that's exactly what they were. They were nomadic hunter and gatherers. Weird. That's just strange to me that, you know, that they don't have a, a, a set home. Nope. I mean, they, they didn't have clothes. They didn't have stone tools. They, these were literally basically prehistoric people. Strength. Power. Milk. Um, strength. Power. Milk. Um, strength. 
power, milk. Introducing Two Hoots, a bolder hard iced tea made from sustainably sourced real brewed tea and lemon flavor. Available in original hard iced tea, zero sugar hard iced tea, and half and half. Don't just give a hoot, give two. Learn more at twohootshardtea.com. Be wise, drink responsibly, all registered trademarks. Used under license by Two Hoots Hard Iced Tea, Chicago, Illinois. Two Hoots Zero Sugar Average Analysis for 12 fluid ounces, 100 calories, 14 grams carbs, 0 grams protein, 0 grams fat. Prehistoric people, they didn't use stone tools at all. If they did have a tool, it was made out of bone. You know, um, they kept their hair cut really, really short. And they managed that using piranha teeth. They would use piranha teeth as razors to cut their hair. Oh, my. Yep. That's just a little insane. You know, and it's hard to believe how how much you take something like a toothbrush for granted. Yeah, they nope, nothing like that at all down there. Yeah. Not in the in the jungles. Yeah, I can hear that. We got about just over ninety seconds to go before we have to go to break at the top of the hour. Uh, cryptid researcher Justin Decker is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Justin, as you were, you know, kind of going through this and living this this amazing young life, uh, you know, learning about these stories. When you got back to North America mm-hmm. as an adult, and and now you start getting into the cryptid world, what what detracted you to it? We got ninety seconds. Um, just the idea of mystery. Um, and, and the search for knowledge. I've always been somebody that wanted to know the truth about things. And because there was such controversy about Bigfoot and cryptids, it just drove me to try and learn more and more on the subject. I got all the books I could read. Uh, when I got online, discovered the Internet, I went on to as many online forums as I could find and just read report after report after report, uh, trying to learn as much as I could about this, this subject. When you were studying this, you obviously know that there is a big, you know, argument within the cryptid community about whether or not these creatures are are some sort of of tulpa where they have interdimensional mm-hmm. abilities and and psychic abilities compared to being just flesh and blood. You know, what's your thoughts on that? When I first started, it was back in the day where we only talked about the flesh and blood. The only reports I had were flesh and blood reports, and that's all you read about. But nowadays, that's changed. The data has changed, and my I have grown and changed my theories on everything with the data that's presented to me. Well, you know, when we get back from the break, my friend, I want to get into some of your stories, some of your encounters what you have covered in this field, because in the end, a good researcher always has some fantastic stories on Sasquatch, Bigfoot, and other weird, strange cryptids that are going on. And we're proud to have our guest tonight, Justin Decker, hanging on out with us, talking about mysteries in the forest. Are there big, hairy, wild beasts out there? Are you willing to find out? Spaced Out Radio continues after this. Dude, that's a solid first half hour, man. Solid. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can talk jungle stuff all day. (laughs) That was so intriguing to me, man. So intriguing. 
Yeah, and the, the funny thing is, man, is that it was normal life to me. Everybody was always like, wow, that must have been amazing. And I go, well, where did you grow up? What was your normal life like? You know, it was just that's what life was. I know. I that- didn't think of it as amazing or special or unique. It was just life. I know this may sound like an odd question, but did you run around the jungle with shoes on or did you follow the native ways <laughs> and run without? So um, in the jungle, I had one rule when it came to my clothing, and that was I had to wear my snake boots. Had to wear my boots. Now, when I wasn't deep in the jungle, I was barefoot 90% of the time. Um. I've got pictures on me and I invite always invite people to go to my Facebook page, check it out. I have a couple different albums of the jungle and me growing up as a kid down there. And there's a picture of me in my jungle clothing, which was what the Indians wore. It was a little uh, grass half skirt on the front. And that's all the men wore. That was it. And the women didn't wear anything. And so there's a picture of me sitting there and I'm holding uh, one of my poison darts for my blowgun. And if you look behind me, you can see my blowgun and spear leaning up against the wall. And I've got my grass skirt on, but I'm wearing my blue rubber snake boots. Wow. Our and audience. That was, I would trade my clothes all the time. I'd go out wearing clothes and come back with nothing but my snake boots and my, my skivvies on. <laughs> I got to tell you, my man, our audience is absolutely Loving you, loving you in your storytelling. Uh, Mike wants to know what oh, the I'm hell glad. are snake boots? Well, for us, it was just rubber boots. Like we wear out like rain boots, you know, it was just enough to protect the lower half of your legs. If you stepped on a snake to keep them from tagging you. Did you have anacondas there? too? Um, we did. Yeah, we had a green anacondas. Uh, that was the one critter we really feared in the water above all else was the anaconda the very first house i remember living in down there and it's weird because i was still crawling age but i still remember this house was on stilts in the middle of the lake oh my okay the reason we lived in that house was because we weren't friends with the indians yet and when i was living out there with my mom and dad it was out in the lake because the indians didn't swim uh, because they were afraid of the anacondas and they came in in the water and they couldn't shoot their blowguns or, or throw their spears that far out. And so my dad and the men would go on shore and interact with the Indians and then they would come back out. And so we lived out in the lake. And the only animal that we were concerned with was the anaconda. Oh. They were considered a shoot on site animal. The only one that we had that would shoot on site because an anaconda would, would easily take out a little guy like me with no problem. Oh yeah. No problem. In my photo album, we have a picture of one laying on our floating dock. And dad said it was a small one at 17 foot. Yep. Yeah, and it's funny because I hear all these stories of anacondas only growing up to 30-some foot. 30, 33 feet, I think. Maybe 36 foot is the maximum length of a green anaconda. Yeah. 
And when I told my dad this years back, he just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, that's not true. (laughs) He just like, no, he's like, that's a big one. He's like, but they get bigger than that. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare for me. Uh, just give me a second here. I want to say a big thank you to W. Decker, Gizmo, Mike, Louie, Simon, and MM3 for the amazing super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support, everyone. It's a great way to support what we do. Hi, Jane's Coffee. How you doing? And, hey, I want all of you to put May 10th through 12th, 2024, on your calendar. We're getting ready to set up at the Silver Legacy Casino and Resort for the third annual uh, SOR fan party, May 10th through 12th. We're going to have the live show. We're going to have live ghost hunts that you can go on, UFO uh, wa- sky watches, and probably a lot more. And uh, people like Susie B and Tim Mothman, they'll tell you how fun it was last year. And we want to do it all again in Reno this year. So stay tuned. Mama Catherine's going to you, Mama Catherine. We love you, dear. And I can't wait Mm -hmm. to see you again. Here we go, everyone. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you for joining us. We got a great night of cryptids for you on the radio. My name is Dave Scott. Always appreciate being able to tell you these stories. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on any major podcast network, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Google Play and everything in between. And our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can do a great deed and support us by joining our Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go, Justin Decker, cryptozoologist, hanging on out in the Great Smoky Mountains, looking for Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. Yep, looking for Bigfoot, my friend. And we're so glad that you are here. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you as well. Have you ever encountered Sasquatch? I have not. I cannot say at any point in time definitively that I have experienced anything Bigfoot or Sasquatch related. So why do you do it? Um, because I want to know. I want to know what's out there. I want to know the truth. Um, and it's like I tell you, I'm not just a Bigfoot investigator. I'm a 14 investigator. I research anything and everything. That- Strength. Power. Milk. Um. Strength, power, milk. Um. Strength, power, milk. Um. 
Achieve your financial goals with Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. With just a $500 minimum deposit, you can access high-yield certificates. 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield or 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt Federal Credit Union location and learn more at sunbeltfcu.org. That's sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. That's out of the normal, out of of the normal realm of what we experience in the day-to-day. Bigfoot just happens to be one of those ones that really caught my fancy at a young age. Uh, Growing up in the Amazon, we moved to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan when I was 10, because that's where my dad's from. And we had five acres of land out there, and it was all woods. And so I spent my time just out constantly in the woods. And then we ended up with 80 acres of land up in the middle of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where my dad and I built a summer camp. And I would spend my summers out there in the middle of the woods. And we'd have experiences. Things would happen. And as I I got older, I did more and more research. Some of those things could be considered possible Bigfoot behaviors. And so it always fascinated me. Was, was I just 30 seconds away from having an encounter? And, and, and even here in the Smoky Mountains where I'm at, um, people are having encounters all over the place. I've got a research partner that found a print in a creek bed like a quarter mile away from where I'm sitting right now. And, and so for me, it's about the, the truth and knowing the truth and, and, and just learning. You know, I I just tell people I'm just a nerd that likes to read. I'm really nothing more than that. Um, And I've read thousands and thousands of reports over the years. And you just learn more and more. And I'm just fascinated, not not just by the creature itself, but the whole Bigfoot phenomenon, the culture, the people involved in it, um, all, all the possibilities from from like when I first started only hearing about flesh and blood stuff to nowadays we're talking about cloaking and 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 possible like multidimensional travel and all the whole thing just absolutely fascinates me from from beginning to end. I love this comment by Mike in our chat room. Justin looks so big, I think Bigfoot avoids him. <laughs> well, I'm not a little guy. That's for sure. Uh, but I think the, the camera angle is kind of um, expressing that a little more. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, what would it mean to you to see this, a Sasquatch? What, what would that mean to you? Um, you know, I thought about this a lot. How would I react? What would I do? All this stuff. And um, for me, it would just be kind of like the final knowing like, like I can assure myself that, that this is a hundred percent, you know, and it would be just a bucket list thing for me. It really would. Um, I travel the roads at night up here in the mountains, just going, man, am I going to see something tonight? And when we have all the fog coming in, cause it is the smoky mountains and we have fog all the time. And I, I just wait for it to happen. It's one of those things where I'm just waiting for it. Um, more of just the final confirmation for myself. I'm not worried about getting a picture or, or getting tracks to prove anything. It just be the, uh, conclusive point to my, my lifelong, uh, infatuation of the subject. 
Yeah, and and for me, I have had three encounters where I've seen the creature. And okay. well, pardon me, two encounters where I've seen the creature and I saw three of them, two and one in the first instance and one last year. And nothing prepares you for it. You know, because all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's there. And there he is. And you want to take it all in. It, it's like it's like breathing fresh air after holding your breath for two minutes. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, that's it. That's what I'm doing. That's what this is all yeah. about. And the next thing you know, you blink your eyes and he's gone. Right? I mean, it's an amazing thrill. An amazing thrill that just doesn't happen every day. And so right. I, I could just, I'm the type of guy where I would love to be there in that moment to watch you actually see one, <laughs> you know, sure. I would totally love to be in that moment. You know, I mean, you have a real passion and desire for this. What made you, mm-hmm. before we get into a, a story from one of your reports, what made you all of a sudden start to give some credence to the other side of Bigfoot that wasn't flesh and blood? Um, well, growing up the way I was, was raised, I've always believed in spirituality. I've always believed in the spiritual realm. I've always believed in, in, in just that possibility of, of supernatural. It was just ingrained in me uh, from a youth and from experiences. And being a 14 researcher, while I'm researching Bigfoot, I was researching all kinds of other stuff. I have interest in paranormal. I have interest in ESP stuff, um, you know, interest in ghosts, interest in energy beings, interest in like fairy folk. I've studied all this stuff. Right. And the things that I started hearing in Bigfoot reports, I could link to other types of, of behavioral patterns. I could link to stories of fairy folk. I could link to all these other things. And so for me, it was just kind of like, oh, well, I've heard of that before. And I started delving in more and more, and I started making more connections, how Bigfoot has some sort of connection to these other things, whether it's, you know, uh, being sighted with orbs or their ability to disappear, um, their extreme silence in the woods or not alerting other creatures or people, um, their, their supernatural speed, all these different things. And as you're reading more and more reports and you're seeing the same things over and over again from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, from credible people, you have to start realizing if you're an honest researcher that there's something to it. There just has to be, you know. And and if I'm a let's say I believe in an ESP, I believe in the idea of uh, tele- telepathic communication between certain individuals or individuals and animals. How can I honestly say if people are reporting that with Bigfoot, how can I dismiss that as a serious researcher? Because scientists, like legitimate government scientists, I know that's kind of an oxymoron, um, and, and other universities have studied ESP phenomenon. They have studied telepathy and, and telekinesis and uh, long viewing and all this kind of stuff, right? And they say there is some merit to this. We just don't have the tools to properly study it. So if these same kinds of things are being attributed in Bigfoot encounters, 
how can we say it's not possible when it's possible in other realms? Very true. Right. So at the very least, at the very least, we have to be open minded to these things. You know, um, and, and when you hear like one of the things that really like impacted me was when Les Stroud did his Bigfoot stuff, you know, Les Stroud Survivor Man. A lot of respect for the guy. But when he started doing his Bigfoot stuff and he talks about it now, he's had three what he considers like telepathic events with Bigfoot. Now, he is not that kind of a guy. He's not a spiritualist. He's not into the woo and all this. He's just telling what he experienced. Yeah, you know, and I can understand uh, that. And it, yeah, and and so when you have people like that, you can't just easily dismiss it as people are just making up lies or trying to get attention. There has to be something going on there. And the more of these reports that I've got and, and I've heard and talked to people face to face, it's just opened up a whole other world of possibility for me. And I can't, as a researcher discount those i can't look at somebody and tell them they're lying to me because i i I don't know i wasn't there i didn't experience what they experienced no that that is great how about a story tell us about one of your favorite investigations that you've been on oh man um well most of my research is what i call archival research i look back at the old reports the old histories um, I mine databases for information and I, I kind of connect stories. Um, one, one report that I got and it was just kind of out of the blue, right? Because when people find out I'm into Bigfoot, they like to tell me stuff They they just like, Hey, you know what? Do you really believe in that? Let me tell you about this. And I, this happened just this past year. I was up at my doctor's office uh, up in up in Tennessee, middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And I'm coming out and this guy walks up and he sees me and he looks at my truck I'm getting into and he goes, oh, you're the one with all the Bigfoot stickers on your truck. I said, yes, sir, that's me. He's like, you believe in that stuff? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I, I got like 20 stickers on my truck. I, I do research podcasts. He's like, I got a story for you. I said, great, let me hear it. And he said, I used to live down by Douglas Lake which is like 20 minutes from me here. And he's like, I had a, a mobile home out there and I had a deck and I'd go out there and smoke at night. And there was a few nights I started seeing some red eyes in the trees. And he said, the scary thing was these red eyes were about 10 foot off the ground. And I was out there one night and I saw the, the eyes come up and I kind of hollered at it and I could see something turn and walk away. And it just blows my mind randomly meeting people and they're giving me their encounters. Like, I just wanted to tell you, have a great day. And they take off. Did you know MDOT spends $3.2 million a year picking up litter? That's money we could use to maintain roads and bridges, patch potholes, and focus on improving Mississippi's infrastructure. It's our job to pick up litter, but it's your job not to litter. Yet 62% of all Mississippi litter is deliberate. We can't do our job if you don't do yours. Visit GoMDOT.com slash Don't Trash MS to learn ways you can help. Don't Trash Mississippi.
If you have sleep apnea and struggle with CPAP, consider that CPAPs were invented in 1980. Do you even remember 1980? Everyone's house had one telephone. There were like four TV channels. Now for people who struggle with CPAP, there's Inspire. Inspire treats sleep apnea inside your body at the click of a remote. No mask, no hose, just sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. And to me, that was one of the most credible, valid reports I've ever had in person. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't, you know, that this thing attacked my cabin or all this. It was just this guy telling me, hey, you know what? I don't know what it was, but this is what I saw and this is what I experienced. And, and I just was floored, like just floored that this guy would come out and just tell me that. When you talk to somebody who has had an incredible experience, what do you look for as signs that they're telling you the truth? Um, I look at their demeanor, right? Are, are they, are they kind of serious? Are they, are they, a little nervous to tell me are they hesitant or are they like oh man i got a great story for you and then they're like just gushing it out and just kind of adding details to it you know what i mean i, I look for that um one of the things I, I look for as an investigator is what did they notice because in most people they're not trained observers okay and when they experience something like this, they usually fixate on one area of what they're seeing. There's one thing that stands out to them. For some people, it might be the face. Okay. For some people, it might be the size. The size of this thing was amazing. They just can't get over the size. They're constantly talking about the size. Um, some people, it would be, like, man, I noticed their hands and their hands were massive and all right. Usually they hyper fixate on something. So if somebody is giving me a laundry list of details from top to bottom, that's kind of a red flag for me. You know, that's a red flag for me. Uh, another thing is, is extreme embellishments. Like what kind of language are they using when they're describing this to me? And then I'll look for things like I've heard before. Sometimes you can hear the same story somebody told that you heard on the podcast last week. <laughs> you know, you know, things like that. Um, a lot of times if they'll say something like this, I know exactly what I saw. Then that makes me kind of question it a little bit, because most people that see these things aren't expecting to see one. And they don't really know what it is. Yeah, they've heard of Bigfoot, but is that what I saw? I don't know. Uh, another thing I look for is emotional response. Does their emotions match the story? You know, um, and a, a good example of this, I had uh, the good fortune to meet uh, Joe. Um, is that uh, Joe Barger? He was the gentleman, you may have heard of him, that shot a dog man. Um, up in uh, the Manistique National Forest in Michigan, he was a truck driver. And throughout the story, basically, a dog man is looking in his window trying to get into his semi-truck, and he grabs a gun and shoots it in the face. Now, Joe told me this story in person 
after we had had dinner outside of a restaurant and you could see the emotion on his face. You could see him reliving it. You you could see like, like he was still feeling the fear and the terror of what he went through. And that is really hard to fake that, that kind of emotion, that raw energy. So I kind of look for all of this stuff to, to really kind of understand do they believe what they're telling me? And and that's two different things because what they experienced and what really happened and what they believed happened can be different things, right? But do they really believe what they're telling me or are they just telling me something they heard? And you can, you can tell the difference in most people. Yeah, you can, you can totally tell yeah. the difference. I, and I, I will agree a hundred percent with you on that one. So when you go into your area mm-hmm. in the Smoky Mountains, what are you looking for? How do you know where to set up? Oh, man. Um, that, that's kind of a hard one. What I, like I said, I don't get out a whole lot directly into the woods. That's kind of why I live here, so I'm here all the time. Um, I have some health conditions that prevent me from hiking out too deep. But... What I'd look for is is ease of access to an area because just like every other creature, Bigfoot are going to travel the path of least resistance to them. Now, that might not be the path of least resistance to us, but it's going to be the path of least resistance to them, right? There has to be game. There has to be a water source. There has to be a way for them to hide from people, but they still need to be able to see people, right? So all these combinations. One of my favorite places is up here in the National Park. Just go into an area where there's trails, but you'll find, like, blocked-off roads and maintenance roads that you can walk down. And those are the areas where people don't go. And so it's a perfect area to look for Bigfoot activity. And in fact, um, one of those areas where I have a, a researcher friend of mine who we partner up and he does a lot of the field research with me and for me when I can't get to an area, uh, he has found a, a footprint in the riverbed just a quarter mile here away from my house at, in one of the entrances of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park here. Um, him and some guys went out there one night and they had something follow them out of the woods. They could hear it making some noises, and it followed them out. And so just looking for area, people think you have to go way off in the middle of nowhere, right? Like like the Sierra Sounds, it was like a three-day hike out into the woods and all this. And, yeah, that's great. I think that's where their home territories are, where they, they raise their babies and have their clan, you know, that kind of stuff. But they're all around us. They're, they're opportunistic omnivores. They're scavengers. They're all over the place. It's not so much as how to find them as it is how to to spot the details of their activity and the evidences of their activities, you know? Yes, I can I can totally see that and agree with you on that. I mean, it, it's one of those things when you're when you're in your area and you're in your zone, can you feel when they're around? Do you have that, lack of a better term, telepathic ability to feel well, them? I'd have to say I can't really quantify that simply because I've never had a feeling and then seen one. Right. So I, I can't objectively say yes, 
But I will say I have been out into the woods by myself and I have known something was watching me. I have known I wasn't alone. Can I say that was a, a Bigfoot thing? No, because I did not see or experience one at that time. Right. And I'm not going to come out here and say, oh, that was a Bigfoot watching me because I don't know. And I will tell you when I don't know something. But I have been out there by myself and have felt that I was being watched and that I was not alone. And it wasn't just like there was a bear or there was deer because I'm, I I know what that's like. I've jumped deer. I've come across bear in the woods and, and cats in the woods and stuff like that. It's a different feeling altogether. It really is. Um, and I have experienced those kinds of feelings before when I do like solo hikes and stuff. Yeah, I, I know that feeling as well. And it's really trying to t- trust your intuition. And it's funny because this mm-hmm. past weekend, uh, we had friends over and uh, the lady, uh, her name is Pauline. She's very, very um, gifted in, in mediumship, but she can't okay. figure out how to know if aliens are around or if other things are around. And I said, honey, it's all about the energy. And we walked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her and her husband, Phil, and I, we walked out to my fire pit, and I was just like, man, there's some serious bear energy around around the property today. Didn't see anything. Two hours later, my neighbor posts a, a video of about a 350-pound black bear snooping away in her carport, and the guy ended up uh, coming over to my property later on. And mm-hmm. not and tearing apart my garbage, but the point that I'm getting at is everything. <laughs> everything has that energy, you know. And, yeah. And I think if you uh, if you went after that energy, I think you might be able to to uh, be a little bit more in tune. Sure, absolutely. And I think that's something we, as a so-called civilized culture, have lost. Right. Growing up in the jungle where I did, like you knew when there was animals around. Yeah, it's, it's the exact you same it. thing. You, you you just knew. And I'm not going to say I know. Oh, well, look, over here is a monkey. Over here is a bird. Over here is a, a taper. Like, I'm not saying that. But you just knew when you weren't alone. You You just had you just had that sense. And the Indians had it like absolutely crazy. Like they could see absolutely nothing and they're going oh there's a troop of monkeys over there let's go that way and you might go two miles into the woods and there's a troop of monkeys you know my my older brother he was like 15 16 at the time and he would go hunting with the indians all day long and he said that's what they would do he said they'd come get him and say hey we know there's a troop of monkeys over here let's go get them and they'd have a half a day hike and go find them mm-hmm. but they knew they were over there and and anybody who has spent an inordinate time in the woods will tell you the same thing. Hundred percent. A hunter agree. can feel when there's a deer coming, walking up close to him. They just get that tingly, you know. Yes. And that's just part of it. It's being able to identify what the energies are. And right there, we are going to put you on hold for a little bit here because we are going to go to break at the top of the hour. Incredible research by Justin Decker tonight. On Spaced Out Radio, looking for all things cryptid. We'll even mix in some audience questions when we return on Spaced Out Radio's hour number two. 
dude, you're kicking some ass and taking some names tonight, man. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Just like I said, man, just having fun talking is what I do. Love it. Love it, man. Dirty Filth, how you doing, buddy? Have you unmuted yourself, Filthy? I've made myself available to talk, yes. Hi, Dave. What you drawing? Hi, Jesse. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm going to disappear here. All right. Dave's sauntering away. One second. Let's adjust this thing. All right, so I'm drawing a Mothman and yep. and a California Nightcrawler. Fresno Crawler, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's hockey season soon, so I always figured that Mothman, since he hangs out in Chicago quite often, apparently... <laughs> At least, At least now, in, huh? in the recent Past time, years. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> I figured he's a he's a Blackhawks fan or something like that. So he sure. probably likes Makes deep sense. dish pizza. Deep dish hey, if you're pizza. in Chicago, you got to. They get a lot of good music in Chicago as well. Oh, been to Chicago a few times. I remember eating at uh, Ed DeBevick's. Uh the one of the original rude restaurants where the servers were very rude to you. <laughs> Purposely, you just go there to get Purposely. made fun yep. of. Yep. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah, there, there's it's become a bigger thing now in various restaurants. Uh, I think Ed DeBevix was, if not the original, one of the original ones uh, where they were rude to you. It was great. It was a fun experience. Weird. That's just couldn't even imagine being a Canadian going there and they'd be mean to me and I'd be like, "Oh, sorry about that." Like, <laughs> dude, funny. Yeah. Well, it's a hoot. I remember we were there uh, visiting some friends of ours, and we had a foster kid with us. My parents ran a foster home for a few years, and uh, he'd never been to a big city, so he was like staring out the window just totally awestruck and the waiter was trying to take his order and find the waiter look at him and said hey you dummy talk to me <laughs> and the kid was like what what he's like are you gonna order or just sit here all day dude come on i got stuff to do and we were just kind of like um okay well yeah it was it was a good good place it used to be a place close to my house and I'd go there on Wednesdays for cheap hot wings and they made these delicious ghost pepper wings and they were so tasty. It was the perfect oh, yeah. combination of burning and flavor and they closed down and I'm just bugs me every Wednesday. I just kind of think about it. <laughs> Plus I used to just sit there and draw cartoons and nobody bothered me and worked out pretty sure. good. It's always good to have a place like that. I've got a place down here that I like to go sit. It's called the Fox and Parrot. It's uh, basically a British style pub. And so you, you can just go there and hang out. Here? 
Yeah, exactly. I've done that. I've gone there and read books and I've done research or uh, just like hang out. They have uh, some sofa set up in a fireplace. Uh, you can sit there and drink like I, I drink ciders. I don't drink beer, but I drink hard cider, you know, have a couple of pints of hard cider and just kind of hang out on the couch and read a book or throw darts, talk to the people, do whatever you want. It's a, it's a great little place to hang out. And it, it's off the beaten path. It's usually not super busy there. Uh, cause I live just outside of Gatlinburg in the, the Smoky National Park and it's the most visited U.S. national park in the country. We see upwards of 14 million people a year up this way. And, uh, you can go there and have like three people sitting there and not be too busy and crazy at all. They got some bangers and mash. Yeah. Bangers and mash. Nice. They got, uh, a good shepherd's pie. They got a great fish and chips. Uh, they got some bubble and squeak. Uh, they got all kinds of good stuff. Rock and roll, man. My uh, fiance says they got the best scotch eggs that she's ever had. Uh, it's a good place. All right, we got about one minute here. Reminder to all of you that a great way to support this show is through the Super Chat. We want to thank W. Decker, Gizmo, Mike, Louie, Simon, MM3, and the Debster for the great Super Chats. Thank you so, so much. And I don't know who W. Decker is, but they got a great name. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, you can... Uh, you can join our Space Travelers Club. All you got to do is click on the link below in the YouTube channel. Uh, I think I've fixed that now, so it's actually working. We'd appreciate you joining the club. Our latest member, Kira. Kira is our latest member in the Space Travelers Club. Thank you, Kira, for joining. And, of course, shop at spacedoutradio.com because we got some great swag there for you. You will look good at it. Yes, you will. May 10th to 12th, third annual Vegas fan party in Reno. So come join us. Here we go, everybody. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Let's kick off hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight as we are into some serious monster talk with Justin Decker. We'll bring him back. <laughs> momentarily, but we want to say hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Please join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Lampyridine. Lampyridine is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and join us in the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go. Hour two with Justin Decker tonight. He's a cryptid 
hunter, a Fortean researcher <laughs> coming out of the Smoky Mountains. And thank you, Justin, for being here and sharing your stories with us. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure as always. Yeah, well, we're really appreciating it tonight. You go looking for Bigfoot. What is what is the best evidence you have found so far? Um, for me personally, I, I really haven't found any solid evidence myself, to be honest with you. Um, I have some health conditions. I have a bad heart. So that really keeps me from getting out there and doing my own thing. Uh, but I partner up with several different researchers that I trust and I get a lot of reports and stuff. So my evidence comes in the form of talking to people and getting their stories and then they'll send me their photographs and their experiences uh, that they don't generally share with a lot of people. Uh, so I get some good pictures and I get a lot of footprint pictures, a um, lot of tree structures and stuff like that coming in. Um, unfortunately, I have not been able to get out a whole lot, especially these past recent years, uh, to do my own digging in. Um, and so I use my experience and, and just my knowledge from reading the thousands of reports taking reports from people and just studying and talking to other researchers to, to kind of fill in the blanks for a lot of people and help them realize that they're not crazy for experiencing what they're experiencing. I love it. I absolutely love it. And you know, and I'm sure that you would love to get out there. You, there's nothing oh, more yeah. that you would love. <laughs> you know, you know, you yep. know what we do here and I don't know if this would interest you, but we don't even go into doing a lot of trail walking we let them mm -hmm. we let them come to us and, mm -hmm. and we have an area where they are i, I don't want to say prominent because that's the wrong word for it okay but what we do with them is is we build a well like like right now we'll, we'll we, if we were out there right now we'd be sitting around a campfire laughing enjoying the night mm -hmm. and their, their curiosity is what is what draws them in. And every now and again, you, you feel them around you. And when you feel Absolutely. them around you, you know, that's when we stand up and shine the flashlight. Did you know MDOT spends $3.2 million a year picking up litter? That's money we could use to maintain roads and bridges, patch potholes, and focus on improving Mississippi's infrastructure. It's our job to pick up litter, but it's your job not to litter. Yet 62% of all Mississippi litter is deliberate. We can't do our job. If you don't do yours, visit GoMDOT.com slash Don't Trash MS to learn ways you can help. Don't Trash Mississippi. So, I just got the State Farm Personal Price Plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog? What? No, I didn't get that personal. My agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! <laughs> Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. And bring out the thermals and the night vision to see what we could capture, if anything. And that's how mm -hmm. what that's how we led to our encounter last year, where we saw the ten footer about a hundred yards away from us. So that might be something you want to try too, if you have a hot spot. It is definitely. Um, I have worked with some people on coming up with hot spots. Um, I am working on going on disability, so I won't have to be working a nine to five anymore. 
uh, coming up. And that is definitely my plans for the future is, is to find these people that, I mean, you see them all the time, right? Hey, come on out to my property. I'll show you something. Come spend a week with me and we'll definitely, I plan on doing that in the future to be able to get out there more um, as my health allows for me to do stuff like that. But I think you are onto it. I have seen more researchers have more positive interactions by doing exactly what you're describing, getting out there, building that curiosity for them to come in, but being aware enough of what's going on around you to know when they come in uh, to kind of interact or observe with observe what you're mm-hmm. doing. That, that has seemed to be a very successful uh, method of, like you said before, like, like children laughing or just going about your everyday having fun and being loud and allows them the comfort of coming in closer and closer Yeah, uh, because they think that you can't see them or you don't know they're there. Well, Uh, my good research partner, Lloyd does the exact same thing when they go out to the woods, they'll go out and they'll go dark and just sit there and maybe have just quiet conversation and, and just pay attention to what's going on around them. And they've had some amazing encounters like that. Oh, we're not quiet. We have, like, our, our research area has a wolf pack in it. It has uh, mm. cougars. It has black bears. It has grizzly bears. It has, like, mm-hmm. 12, 1,400-pound uh, bull moose. Like, it has a lot of stuff out there that wants to harm you. And so we sure. we try and stay as, as la- not loud. Like, we're not yelling, like... Hey, how you doing tonight? You know, we're not doing that crap. Right. You know, but we're talking normal volume and like we don't. And yep. then when things start to happen, okay, we look for the signals. Okay. Whether it's yep. all of a sudden everything goes quiet. Well, if everything goes quiet, let's pay attention a little bit more. Right. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, sometimes all it takes is a little snap of a stick that makes you. You look, and that's where we have had success. And look, I, I I have been able to learn from a lot of cool people, from Super Duke, from World Bigfoot Radio, to Nate Rudd, and and many many others over the years. Butch Winkowski, mm-hmm. David uh, Weatherly, and many others. And you know, you don't have to be that Todd Standing type where you're wearing a ghillie no. suit, hiding out in the forest, trying to you know. Uh, hide your scent so the animals can't smell you. You don't have to do that. Right. All you have to do is create something for them to be interested in. Sure. I think that's actually more counterproductive than anything else when you, when you're using that kind of method, right? Because I believe no matter how stealthy we're trying to be, if we're out there in their territory and we're actively pursuing them, they're going to know we're there. Agreed. Right. I I really think so. Now, the caveat, I mean, how many hunters are out there hunting deer and accidentally have a Bigfoot sighting? You know, I think a lot of those kinds of sightings are are accidental sightings. Right. Yeah, they're sitting there. They're quiet enough. They're they're actively hunting. And so they kind of take the Bigfoot by surprise. You, You know what I mean? But I think that's different than if you're actively out there pursuing Bigfoot as your target, as your game. I think they catch on to that pretty quick. I I agree with you. 
out of the elements that you have and in that you uh, are listening to out of the great smoky mountains and and areas as such are you getting a lot of dogman reports or or feral human reports from those areas that may distract from the sasquatch encounters um yes and no the the problem with the feral human reports is description um, because a lot of times when they describe something, they'll describe it as like a wild, hairy person. Well, that could be a Bigfoot creature. That could be a, a feral human. That could be a lot of different, different things. Right. And so it's really hard to kind of pull a feral human, a true feral human account from a Bigfoot account. There are some that you hear and you can say, yeah, that's definitely more of a feral human. Um, I've, I've heard a report of, I want to say it was a hiker and they were going through and they encountered what was like a, an adult male and then an older male that was gray haired, but it was described as a caveman looking person who had body hair, but not covered in hair. It was definitely people. It wasn't a Bigfoot or anything like that. So they are few and far between. But those reports are coming through. And as far as dogman reports, there's still a lot of hesitancy in the area for people to be willing to come forward with those kind of reports. Most of the time you're hearing them on your podcast or, or in different dogman groups where you can track down some of the reports. But I'm finding with a lot of people, they're still very hesitant to discuss anything like dogman in person. Now, that being said, there's a lot of activity happening in the Appalachia region that people are attributing to Dogman. Uh, various attacks and, and deaths of unknown, basically unknown creatures attacking people that people are attributing to Dogman. And that's kind of where my research currently is leading me into investigating these kind of attacks and trying to figure out if it was anything other than what's being reported by the police, what evidence is there, you know? And so that, that is becoming a bigger thing here in Appalachia as more people are focusing on dog man and kind of making the shift from Bigfoot to dog man. I can hear that. You know, I'm still a little baffled and I'll be blunt with you still a little mm -hmm. baffled about the whole, you know, dog man all of a sudden exploding in all areas. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago where dog man was just heard in the north, north central part of the United States. And now there's reports. I know there's reports of dog man in my own little town here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Look how Bigfoot started. Bigfoot started and people still believe Bigfoot is purely a, a Pacific Northwest phenomenon. People still believe that, like people that don't study and aren't on the topic. You know, they think, oh, I thought Bigfoot was only over here. What do you mean he's in Tennessee? What do you mean he's in Kentucky? What do you mean there's Bigfoot in Florida? People just don't know because they're not looking. They're not researching, right? And I think it's kind of the same thing with Dogman. As, as Bigfoot has become more acceptable, more mainstream, more and more people are comfortable coming out and talking about it. And I think what we're experiencing right now is the same thing with the dogman phenomenon. You know, 
um, people want to go back to the Michigan Dogman, and that's where it kind of all started. But that's the same thing as saying Bigfoot started with the Patterson-Gidlin film. And as we really look at it, that's really not the case. That's just when it first started really hitting mainstream and media and where the attention first started for the phenomenon. You know what I mean? Um, I give a, a lecture. At, I don't know if the lecture is the right word or presentation on why do I believe when I've never had the experience? Why do I believe in Bigfoot if I've never seen one? And and I go back to the same checklist of are there historical accounts? Are there more modern day accounts? Are there physical evidences? Are there multicultural accounts? Like it's not just one culture group reporting this phenomenon. And all those things you can check off for Bigfoot. And all those things you can also check off for Dogman. If you really start studying the subject, the idea of dog men with different names and different, somewhat different attributes culturally have been around for thousands of years, just with different names and, and a little bit different settings. But the idea and the phenomenon has been around for a very long time. It's just now in the past few decades become allowable to talk about it and it's even now becoming more acceptable to talk about it just like we've seen with bigfoot the exact same kind of phenomenon is happening with with the dogman creatures all right let's get to a couple questions from our audience here let us start off with ian over in the uk have you ever had rocks thrown at you um, there have been some times in the woods where I've had things thrown at me. At the time, I just kind of chalked it up to like squirrels dropping acorns and different things like that. Um, I was not looking for Bigfoot at the time, but I have definitely had things like thrown at me in the woods. Hmm. I've only had one rock thrown at me. And that was trippy enough. Trippy yep. enough. The, this stuff goes back to when, as I learned more about Bigfoot activity and their tendencies, I look back on my experiences in the woods and go, huh, I wonder if that was something because I've experienced this. But I could never say that was a Bigfoot doing it because I did not see a Bigfoot at that time and, and saw them throwing anything at me. I'm very careful and clear when I have discussions and I talk to people on what I know is fact and what I've experienced and what I believe. And they're all different things. I have had really weird, strange things happen to me in the woods that as I've learned more about Bigfoot stuff, I could say that is a known Bigfoot behavior, but I will never say I experienced the Bigfoot encounter because something strange happened to me in the woods. Okay, let's move on to Gizmo. Justin, what's your favorite jungle food? <laughs> All right, I always, I always get flack for this one, but mom used to make us monkey nuggets. Uh, she would take the monkey and cook it down and pressure cook it and then bread it and fry it just like chicken nuggets, but it was monkey nuggets. And so that was one of my favorite, most requested foods when I was out in the jungle. Um, another one that I remember very clearly was what we referred to as smoked danta. Now, what it was, was taper. 
they would take the taper and cut it into strips and make jerky out of it. And I remember that as being absolutely wonderful, uh, smoky, almost like a really heavy beef. And those were my two like most favoriteest foods that I would just scarf up whenever I had it. Love it. Love it. Let's go to Justin. <laughs> Justin, do you think their, 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 as in Bigfoot's hair, can absorb mm-hmm. light cloaking themselves naturally? Um, I think that is one possibility. The problem with that is uh, polar bears have hair that is non-colorful and can absorb the light like that. And they're not observed cloaking. So looking at natural phenomena with hairs that are very similar, I, I don't necessarily think that's the mechanism that they use, but I'm not going to cross it off the list of possibilities. Um, I have a different theory on that, and I just don't think it has to do with the, the specifics of their hair. What's your theory? Um, I believe that they are able to either directly or instinctually control their body's frequencies and vibrations. And that the cloaking mechanism is essentially their ability to vibrate in a frequency that we can no longer visually perceive. Hmm. Fascinating. All right, let's go over to Sabrina. How do the tribes react to those with psychic abilities? Do these tribes have psychics among themselves? I really couldn't answer that, to be honest with you. That was not something that I was familiar with or grew up with uh, in, in the tribes. Um, the the basic religion, if you want to call it that, that we worked with was a Southern Baptist. And for anybody that knows anything about Southern Baptists, they don't generally uh, follow with the idea of uh, psychic abilities or, or telepathic or all this kind of stuff. So that isn't even something that would have broached my radar back then. Okay, let's continue on. The unknown wants to know, do you have any other thoughts on other cryptids like Dogman? We talked about Dogman a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I I believe that most legends and tales have a reality and a basis in, in fact. It's just our interpretation of what we're seeing. Um, so I believe that most of these cryptids have been experienced in one form or other be it the original chupacabras, uh, dogman, um, there's something that's causing people to believe they're seeing what they're seeing. And that's, that's the, the way I look at things and I research things, right? Um, dogman is one of those things I've never seen or experienced, but it checks off those boxes that I've established myself if it's a real creature, a real phenomenon or not. I firmly believe that dogman is out there. What it is, I couldn't even hazard a guess, but you know, is, is it something ethereal? Is it flesh and blood? Is it demonic in nature? I have no idea, but I believe there is something specifically causing people to see what they're calling a dogman creature. I think there's a lot of strangeness in this world that we just don't understand. I think there is, um, another dimension and other frequencies that we don't normally perceive 
but every now and then we're able to get glimpses of it. And I think a lot of this, this stranger phenomenon we experience are that kind of crossover. Um, so yeah, I, I believe in a lot of the, the other stuff out there is real. We just don't have the knowledge to understand what it is we're experiencing. Let's move on as we got two minutes left here. Mike is wondering, were there any reports in the jungle from the natives seeing dinosaurs? Um, not specifically, but I can tell you a story from my dad of something that I have christened a jungle dinosaur. Um, and that may have to wait till after the break because there's a little bit of a, a story involved in there. But around the world and other missionary groups and in other countries, they have experienced large reptilian-like creatures that we would call a dinosaur. Uh, that's not unheard of in the missionary world at all. Yeah, the dinosaur story totally trips me out. Totally trips me out because I can't imagine what it would be like to to all of a sudden, you know, come across a miniature pterodactyl flying in the sky or, you know, uh Javier who from Cryptid 559 in California. I mean, he has to this day he'll swear that he encountered a pterodactyl in his Sasquatch area, you know, and I've taken two reports of here in Appalachia in Northern Georgia of, of one of a pterodactyl and one of a raptor like dinosaur sightings here in the United States in Appalachia. Yeah. I mean, the raptors and the mini T-Rexes that are said to be Mm -hmm. running through the, the bayous of, of Louisiana, right through to Georgia and Florida. That crap yep. freaks me out a little bit, you know. It really yeah. does. Absolutely. Uh, Don't get um, it. On my podcast, one of my first guests came on describing her pterodactyl sighting. You know, it's they're there. They're out there. People are seeing them. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> but it's happening out there, my man. Hey, we got you for yep. another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out yep. Radio. and. I got a ton of questions from our audience, so we're going to continue with with audience questions when we return on the show. But this has been a great cryptid show so far tonight. Justin Decker, researcher extraordinaire of the 14 variety, hanging on out with us, (laughs) taking your questions on everything to do with when he lived in the jungle as a kid, the jungles of Columbia, to him chasing down everything that has to do with cryptids and your questions. Thank you for listening to us tonight on Spaced Out Radio. The Monster Talk continues right after this. We'll be right back. Yeah, this has been awesome, man. Oh, it's been fun. I'm going to hate it in the morning, but that'll be all right then. Well, let's see what uh, Dirty Filth here finished off for us tonight. Oh, yeah, get ready for hockey season. That's right. Yep, that's what he was saying. (laughs) Just about that time, Dave. I'll be at the rink tomorrow. Be at the rink tomorrow. My boy starts. No more fist fights for you, Dave. Uh, (laughs) Ah. 
I know, dirty filth. I know. It's sad when that happens. Hey, someone wants to hear the dinosaur story during the break. No. No, we're going to. (laughs) We're saving that for when we get back. You know we don't do that. You've got to wait for the show. This is our relax time here. Yeah. Dinosaur stories are great. You're a dinosaur story. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's 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 insane. That kind of stuff. Yep. It's wild to think about, but I mean, I'm not an evolutionist. I'm a, a creationist. And and so the idea of dinosaurs still being around in certain parts of the world is just natural to me. Just just growing up in the jungle, I can see, uh, yeah, there could easily be a population of something living here and we would never know. You know? Especially something not, like Congo. Yeah, yeah. You don't just willy-nilly pant, prance no. into that place. Well, people don't understand the vastness of what the jungles are really like. They, they, we have no comprehension of it. Did you know MDOT spends $3.2 million a year picking up litter? That's money we could use to maintain roads and bridges, patch potholes, and focus on improving Mississippi's infrastructure. It's our job to pick up litter, but it's your job not to litter. Yet 62% of all Mississippi litter is deliberate. We can't do our job if you don't do yours. Visit GoMDOT.com slash Don't Trash MS to learn ways you can help. Don't Trash Mississippi. Walter Brown here for Ocean's Behavioral Hospital in Biloxi. With September being Suicide Prevention Month, it's so important to be able to communicate with your loved ones. Kim? Young people's emotional well-being has been declining for years. If you're concerned about an adolescent in your life, consider these warning signs. Loss of interest in things they usually enjoy, their peers are struggling, changing sleep habits, or changes in weight or appetite. Learn more, OceansBiloxi.com. You know, like like where we were at, my dad said was about like a four-hour helicopter ride out to where we lived from the nearest town where we could fly in from, right? But it was also like a three-week hike if you were trying to hike it by foot because of the density of the jungle and the terrain and everything you'd have to cross to get there. Right. People just have no, no, and the trees aren't like trees around here. We're talking two, 300 foot trees, easy. And, and the canopy underneath that can hide anything, you know? I'm from Canada and I live in the flatlands and I went a trip to Costa Rica and it was absolutely mind boggling to see how thick the jungles were. In such a small bit of land, how much mm-hmm. jungle there was and how dense mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, it's definitely it not like the movies, is it? <laughs> oh, no. And Jurassic Park bugs me because San Jose, Costa Rica is not Oceanside. Right. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, yeah. This you know, Dad be... tells stories of them like trying to hack trails through the jungle. And they would spend all day with their machetes, three or four guys hacking through and turn around and look at where they started from that morning. 
you know, like just absolutely intense how, how deep it is. Well, heat and the bugs. It's oppressive stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because now I don't like humidity. I don't like heat at all. Can't stand it. Drives me nuts. Uh, but again, growing up with it, it, it's normal. You, you don't understand what it is. You know what I mean? It's like growing up in Alaska and you're experiencing the cold, but to you, that's just normal. There, there's nothing unusual about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why just being Canadian, Costa Rica, that was <laughs> so weird. But I had a good time. Uh, mind-boggling. I could never live there. I'd die in like three days for sure. <laughs> All right, gents. I want to go back. Hold on right there, guys. Uh, I want to say a big, big thank you tonight to our super chatters. And let's say thank you to W. Decker, Gizmo, Mike Bothwell, Forrest Louie, Simon in Australia, MM3, The Debster, Stacy D, Cowboys, Five Rings, CS, and Monica. Very much appreciate the love and support. Also, if you want to support us, join the Space Travelers Club, and you can get the link in the show description below. And, of course, shop at spacedoutradio.com. We got great swag. We don't have ugly swag, people. We do not have ugly <laughs> swag. Okay, so get some. And I want you to put May 10th through 12th, 2024, in your calendar. I want to meet you in Reno for the third annual fan party. Here we go. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. We very much appreciate you tuning us on in. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Final time tonight, we got a great guest, Justin Decker, who is with us, a 14 researcher. We've been talking about cryptids and monsters all night long from the jungles of Columbia, where he grew up, to the United States right now. And Justin, thank you for being here. And you are going to warm us up for this half hour with this incredible dinosaur story that your father encountered. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this happened in a jungle town on the Venezuelan border, still in Colombia, called Puerto Inidida. And apparently I was I was a young guy. I was just not even a year old yet when all this kind of happened. Uh, but they were living in this jungle town, and they kept some chickens and stuff like that. And at one point, this critter kept coming out of the jungle and attacking and eating chickens. And Dad tells me this story just as an offhand story, like he used to tell me as a kid. And the, he just called it a big iguana. This big iguana would come out of the jungle and attack and kill our chickens. 
Um, and then he said one day he picked up this heavy iron bar that was laying around some kind of construction bar and then threw it like a spear at this big iguana, hit it in the head. And he said the iguana just kind of shook its head and looked at my dad and then went and grabbed the chicken and ran back off into the jungle. Now, my dad is a very down to earth kind of guy. So for him, he was just telling me another jungle story. So I started asking dad about this iguana because I'm going, that must be one heck of an iguana that's going to come out and attack and kill a chicken and run off into the jungle and eat it. He's like, well, he said it stood about two feet off the ground at the head. And he said it was probably about like six to eight foot long. And and I'm going, Dad, that's that's not a standard green iguana. That that's a little big, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that's what he described it as, as this big giant iguana that would come out and attack and kill chickens, which again is not iguana behavior, but it was a giant reptilian lizard creature that was coming out and then showing predatory behaviors like that. And to him, it was just another jungle story. But to me, I'm going, well, I mean, that sounds like a scaled down dinosaur to me or some kind of giant land monitor, some kind of creature, again, that's not supposed to be there because they're not supposed to have lizards like that. We're not supposed to have anything like a Komodo dragon, right, or the big monitor lizards of Australia. They just don't have those down there. And so for me, that's like a modern dinosaur story. There's this giant critter coming out and attacking the chickens. That is awesome. I appreciate you yeah. sharing that. Let's go over to some more audience questions here. And let's get to Derek, who is asking, have you ever seen any of those mysterious stairs when you were in the jungle? I have not. <laughs> but I know what you're talking about. Um my my good friend Lloyd, I mentioned him earlier, he has 30 years search and rescue experience, and he has encountered the stairs in the woods. I asked him about them one time because you hear the stories. Then you hear the fact that they're just an urban legend, right? Some Internet story. But he said, no, there was one time during his training, they encountered a set of stairs, and his supervisors told him, don't go near him, don't go up him. Pretend you never saw them. Yeah, I would never go up them. Nope, not at all. I would never do it. Not <laughs> old Davy. Let's go to Ian in the UK. Is there any truth that trees kill more people in the jungle? I've never heard that myself. Um, I can't pinpoint anybody that was specifically killed by a tree, so I'd have to have a little more clarification of what you're talking about are you talking about like trees falling on people or like man-eating trees or what are you kind of referring to there well uh you know trees do kill more people than animals at least here in north america because a tree falls you know you cut down a tree and it falls mm -hmm. the wrong way or it splits that's where it gets dangerous sure Mike would like to know, what's the most exotic food you ate while you were living in the jungle? Oh, well, I mean, we can get more exotic than monkeys and tapers. I mean, 
<clears throat> the general rule was if it was an animal and it moved, we could eat it. Uh, we had capybara. Uh, we called them chuiti. We would eat the macaw parrots, the big red parrots that you guys see in the zoos and stuff. We used to eat those. Um, the one thing that really freaks people out for some reason, and I don't understand it, is at my school base, my school base was in the Andes Mountains. Um, and it was a boarding school, so while the parents were out in the jungle doing their thing, we could still get our education. In the spring, there was a certain type of ant that would grow wings and mate on certain spring nights, especially if there was a light, misty rain falling. Us kids would go out and collect as many of these ants that we could. And then we would fry them in a skillet with a little bit of butter and eat them. And they tasted just like popcorn. And it was a huge treat for us every spring when we could go out and get our popcorn ants. Boy, that's one healthy diet right there. (laughs) I'm not saying a thing. I'm not saying a thing. All right. It was a huge treat for us. <laughs> Guy in Calgary is asking, missing hunters across North America is interesting and scary because they are heavily armed. Aliens or cryptids taking these guys? Well, why would we subject it to just those two possibilities would be my question. I think there could be multiple answers to that one problem. Uh, just because of the different reports I've heard and gathered over the years. Um, cryptid could definitely be accounting for a good portion of them, whether it's Dogman or Bigfoot. I also believe that there's other things happening that are making people disappear. I have heard stories from very reliable friends of mine where they have encountered things like time shifts in the woods or lost time or even where they've stepped into almost an alternate reality while in the woods. And so I think the missing hunter phenomenon has multiple causes to why these people are disappearing. And what are those causes? Well, uh, again, like, like um, I got one of my friends told me of a missing guy they were after. They were looking for him and they finally found him five or six days in. And he was describing that he found this cabin in this woods and he went to the cabin and he stayed there. He could hear people calling his name, but he'd come out and he couldn't find them. And then he just kind of walked out of the woods and ran into the, the searchers. But the searchers were like, there is no cabin here. There's nothing there. It's completely gone. And then the guy would say, well, I was only gone for a couple hours. I don't understand what the big fuss is. But when they came out, it was like six days later from when they went missing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I think these kinds of things are also part of the missing hunter phenomenon. Could very well be. Could very well be. All right. Let's continue. Brown Dwarf wants to know, have you ever experienced UFOs or orbs in the jungle or the woods? Um, There has been a couple of times where I believe I have seen lights that I couldn't pinpoint their source. I wouldn't necessarily call it an orb because I couldn't identify like an orb floating through the woods kind of a thing. Um, And I've definitely never experienced anything I would classify as a UFO. All right, let's continue on. Let's go to W. David Page. 
have you ever seen David Polite's Bigfoot class? I have seen a couple of the 101s. I'm very familiar with David. I've met him a couple times. Um, I followed his Can-Am project for a while. I'm very familiar with him, and I've seen a couple of his Bigfoot 101 class videos on YouTube. All right, let's move on here. Let's go to Paramarv. There have been stories of a dumb under... Uh, of a dumb, like deep underground military base under the Smoky yep. Mountain Park. And there have been sightings of strange creatures there too. Have you heard any reports like this? Um, I have not taken any specifically uh, regarding anything like that, no. Would you say there's some logic to it? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm a firm believer in the dumb theory, and I think national parks are some of those areas that would be absolutely perfect uh, for a dumb setup. And I've heard from other areas uh, seeing airplanes flying into the mountains and then just disappearing into the side, things like that. Uh, But I've never heard of anything specifically here in the Smokies. MM3 is asking, Justin, is there any stories or theories revolving around Bigfoot possibly being human beings, great, great ancestors or elders? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of different theories of where Bigfoot comes from, uh, whether it being the, the other arc of human evolution. You know, we split off millions of years ago. Modern humans went one way, Bigfoot another way. Um, the idea of them just being another tribe of people that are out there. Um, I think the missing link kind of theory has been completely just kind of tossed aside nowadays. Um, it's either you believe it's uh, just another great ape like a gorilla or a chimp just a little more advanced, or people believe it's a branch of human that's just gone a different way in evolution than what we have. Uh, there's a lot of people that work off of those theories. All right, let's move on here. Let's go over to Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Mm-hmm. This guy literally wears a cape. When he goes into the forest, <laughs> do you have any Mapinguari reports or sightings in the South in, in South America when you were there? Um, I no, not anything like that. Uh, Mapinguari is mostly based out of the Brazil thing. Whether what my Indians reported and the Mapinguari were the same thing could be a possibility. Uh, that is just not a word or a term they would have used in my section of the jungle at all. Um, a lot of people do believe the Mapinguari is just their word for another Bigfoot type creature. Uh, so it's very possible it is exactly the same creature, uh, just different nomenclature for it. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Final mm-hmm. question from our audience from Neil. Does voodoo open a door for entities to come out of our dimension, in your opinion, namely cryptids? Um. Wow, that, that's one heck of a question. Um, my limited understanding of the voodoo religion is it specifically has to do with the demonic realm. And so essentially what you're asking is, um, are, are cryptids of a demonic nature and do those types of religions open portals or allow them to enter our reality? And I'd have to say, yes, I think so. I believe there are entities that we perceive as different cryptids, um, specifically like in a case of a dog man. 
I believe there are spiritual entities that take the form of what we would call a dogman or a werewolf. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe there's flesh and blood creatures out there because I firmly do. But I believe there are spiritual entities that will mimic these creatures for whatever reasons that they're choosing for, uh, whether it be voodoo or any other type of, of so-called satanic or other demonic worshiping, demonic delving religion. Um, I firmly believe they are able to create some sort of connection to that demonic spiritual world. And those entities will uh, manifest in our reality. Dogman in the UK wants to know, do you have any photo evidence or videos of cryptids? I do have some pictures that have been sent to me and I have been shown uh, videos and pictures that I don't have possession of that I firmly believe do show cryptids. Um, I have seen a video with a portal on the property opening up and by portal, it was a bright light and I could see creatures moving in and out of it. And there was also like a creature up on the porch. I have seen a video of that. I have a picture out of upper Michigan. That to me clearly shows a large Bigfoot walking away from the camera. Um, I have looked for other interpretations of it and I have not found any other good ones. So I have seen and in in possession of some really good evidence, photographic evidence. I don't have permission to share those. Yeah. I'm really big on keeping people's identity secret and keeping things anonymous when I'm asked to, because that's how I gain trust and why people will come to me and tell me some of their stories. But I have seen some, some very convincing evidences out there. Excellent. Let's go to, what is the most convincing case you've come across with cryptids? The most convincing case. Oh. And we say this, it's actually a good question because today I believe it's it a very good question. I believe today is the 60th anniversary or 65th anniversary of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Sure. Sure. Man, I I really can't pinpoint one specific case. Um, There's a lot of good ones out there for various cryptids that I just believe are 100 percent believable. You know, I I believe the Patterson Gimlin was a real event and a real thing and a real film. Me too. You can't get much more convincing to me other than the video, especially like on the beginning of your intro, the MK Davis stabilization of that video. I mean, to me, it just shows without a doubt that that's a real creature, you know, without a doubt. Mm, All right. Let's see what else we have here from the audience. We are all caught up there. Okay. So let us us just continue here for a moment because you chase everything. What's the strangest creature you've heard of? That people are chasing. Oh, man. I I think the strangest overall would be the original Chupacabras that came out in the 90s. Now, I'm not talking about the blue hairless mangy dog coyote mix of the Southwest that people are currently calling a Chupacabras. Right. I'm talking the original reptilian red-eyed spines down its back hops like a kangaroo creature 
that people, local law enforcement, local officials, everyday farmers swear they were encountering in Puerto Rico. To me, that is one of the strangest ones that has a continuity of reports that people have seen and experienced. Achieve your financial goals with Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. With just a $500 minimum deposit, you can access high-yield certificates. 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield, or 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt Federal Credit Union location and learn more at sunbeltfcu.org. That's sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. I just got the State Farm Personal Price Plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog? What? No, I didn't get that. Personal, my agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. That's a weird one. I think, you know, when you get into a lot of these other cryptids, like gnomes or trolls or gargoyles as well, those kind of creep Mm -hmm. me out. Yeah, well, I don't consider those cryptids. To me, a cryptid is a very specific thing. Um, Cryptids are the subjects of the study of cryptozoology, which is the hidden uh, hidden and unknown animals or out of place animals. Uh, when we start talking other entities like like gnomes um, and trolls and stuff like that, I don't no longer consider those cryptids. Um, but I think a lot of those have a lot of merit because again, they're cross cultural. Uh, people have experienced them throughout history and in modern day, and I really think there's something art to those other entities as well, for sure. Hmm. Looking at the time that you have been researching. What kind of patterns have you found regarding any of these creatures? Ah, man. So that's, that's a good one. The biggest thing I have found is there are specific behavioral patterns that you can count on when experiencing specifically like Bigfoot. Um, thing, things like they tend to operate in a family group, very similar to the Indians that I was raised with. Right. There's a hierarchy there. They have different jobs there. Uh, some work as security. The you know, some people call them day watchers and all this stuff. Um, there's patterns in behavioral as far as territorialism. Right. Usually when they want somebody to leave their tor- territory, they'll start off by making their presence known. They'll make some noises, try and scare you out. Then they'll um, go to rock throwing small pebbles they'll, they're just trying to get your attention to to chase you out then they'll they'll shadow you they'll they'll start breaking sticks and they'll they'll slowly escalate to get you out of where they want you to go um i think hunting patterns have become kind of an established thing right uh one of the things they tend to do is uh, they're hunting deer they'll set up ambush blinds and they'll reach out and grab the deer's leg and twist it with a spiral fracture on the leg and then they'll go through and snap the neck. They tend to harvest specific organs for the higher vitamin content. Um, this is all things that you would find and expect from a natural predator. This happens in the wild 
certain animals will target certain parts of a carcass because that's what they need for their vitamins or their mineral intake. Uh, these are all things that, as the reports come, are established patterns that people see over and over and over again. Um, a lot of people have come up with their research showing that they travel in a specific area, like a territory, mm -hmm. um, but they travel within that territory, very nomadic in cycles, and they won't necessarily repeat the same exact pattern all the time. No. They might come to one area every three years even though they're visiting that general area of their territory every year it might be five miles difference in each spot and that's that seems to be an established pattern of how they migrate they follow the food sources um, some people think they follow weather patterns i think it more has to do with food source than anything else um there there's a lot of established behaviors for different areas right in some areas where there's a lot of woods butting up to, to different cities, they tend to be garbage rovers. They visit yes. garbage dumps. They visit dumpsters on the outskirts of town. Um, I've gotten reports of them visiting dumpsters by casinos, right? And then that's where they're opportunistic omnivores. And so studying these patterns over time, you can start seeing, and it's what you would expect to see from a real biological creature. You know, and the patterns are there. You just have to be able to connect the dots. I, I think one of the major things that I've looked at is the idea of their neck and shoulder structure. And what I mean by that is if we look at the Patterson-Gimlin film, we all know when the creature turns, the chin is below shoulder level, so he has to turn yes. the whole body over. And that's yes. indicative, right? But what people don't think at, that also follows through with how they throw things. Right. Very because true. the reports are they tend to throw things sidearm. Right. They come across this way, which is what you would expect from that kind of structure with the neck and the shoulders and how they're placed. They wouldn't be able to throw a direct overhand throw because of the way the shoulder structure is. And that's what we see in a lot of the reports and a few of the videos that show a reported Bigfoot throwing something. It's a sidearm throw and different things like that. And, yeah, it's just, just then that's what I find fascinating is the details of things. When I take a report, I want to hear a detailed account of something. Don't just tell me you saw a Bigfoot cross the road. That tells me nothing. You know what I mean? I want to know details of stuff. And on that note, I got to cut the details because it's been a brilliantly fast two hours, Justin Decker. I told you it, it was going to go fast, but thank you so much for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight, my man. Very much appreciate. My pleasure. Coming up next, Steve Stockton is here with another creepy story. Then right after that, Robin McRae fills in for Super Duke at the Cryptid Report. We have more Spaced Out Radio coming up right after this. Great job, Justin. Thank you for a great interview. Hey, not a problem, man. I appreciate you asking me. It's a lot of fun. We're going to do this again. Hey, anytime, just let me know. I'll put it in my schedule. Starting next month, I'm going to be stopping working and trying to focus on getting disability so I'll have a lot more time. Right on, buddy. You stay in touch with me too, my friend. All right, will do, man. I'll talk to you later. Take care. Great show. I will be right back. It's so bloody hot in here. I'm going to open up the window. Maybe the barrel's in there. I don't know. 
All right. I want all of you to start preparing now. For May 10th through 12th at the Silver Legacy Casino Resort for the third annual fan party, we're going to make sure Robin McRae gets out there. She likes to party. Yep, she does. It's going to be a good time, people. We're going to have more information coming up very, very soon, and including getting uh, some discounts on hotels for the first few who register quickly. I know Tim Mothman's going to be there. His goatee already told me. Debster's coming. Yeah, we're going to have fun. You can support us by joining the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. That is in the description below on YouTube. And our super chatters tonight, W. Decker, Gizmo, Mike, Louis, Simon, MM3, Debster, Stacy, Cowboys, CS, and Monica. Thank you for the love. Don't forget to get your really cool swag. We have it at spacedoutradio.com. Yeah, I got through it all with time to spare. Here we go with hour three, everybody. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Hour three of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Lampyridine. Lampyridine is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and join us in the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. It is that time of the night where we say hello to Steve Stockton for another great spooky story to kick off Hour 3. Hello, friends. Welcome to Among the Missing YouTube channel on Spaced Out Radio. I'm Steve Stockton, and I'm about to take you on an unbelievable journey of people just like you. Their stories and encounters will haunt us on Among the Missing. A two-year-old girl named Amber Rose Smith went missing from her Nuevo County, Michigan home around 1.30 p.m. According to her father, Dale Smith, he had been in another room, and Amber was no longer there when he returned. It was not the first time Amber had walked out of the house, but in previous instances, she had been found without any issues. Dale searched for Amber for about 30 minutes before contacting 911. Despite the efforts of around 300 volunteers and officials who searched the surrounding area, Amber could not be located. The search continued as the temperature dropped and darkness crept in. 
Amber was found safe about two miles away from her home the next day, greatly relieving her family and investigators. It was remarkable that she managed to reach where she was found with the harsh weather and rough terrain. However, when questioned about where she'd been and how she got there, she appeared confused and unable to remember anything. Amber walked through a dense forest without shoes and braved the chilly overnight weather that dropped to around 43 degrees. After getting treatment for minor cuts and bruises and drinking a cup of hot chocolate, she seemed okay. Diane and Dale, the girl's parents, report that Amber kept quiet about the incident but had mentioned spending the night in the woods with chipmunks and squirrels. Dale stated that Amber had only disclosed being followed into the woods and abandoned there. An intriguing detail surfaced during Amber's vanishing and eventual discovery. She was found in a region that had already been meticulously searched the day before. It remains a mystery how she evaded the search parties, dispatched a locator shortly after her disappearance, and how she could traverse such a considerable distance under the given circumstances. There is speculation that Amber's disappearance may be connected to Stephen Kabaki's mysterious disappearance and memory loss of over a year. Some even speculate an alien or paranormal entity may have taken her, while others believe she simply got lost in the woods or her disappearance is somehow linked to the Michigan Triangle. Despite these theories, the truth behind her disappearance remains unknown. And thank you to Steve Stockton from Among the Missing for a great story right like that. If you want more, just head on over to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Among the Missing and you can hit subscribe there today. From the missing to the mountains, we're looking for cryptids on the Cryptid Report. Here's Robin McRae. <laughs> Super Luke, Super Luke, the Cryptid Report with Super Luke. Yeah, we're filling in for Super Duke once again. Robin McRae, thank you so much for being here. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, hey, sweetie. How you doing? I am fantastic. I had uh, my buddy Mike on Saturday went out alone to our cryptid spot. Oh, okay. And I was going to go back with him. I met up with him at about 8 o'clock at night in the forest, or 7 o'clock at night in the forest. He had already been there uh, for a little bit. And I said, dude, I just got to go drop off my son and everything. I'll be coming back. And, of course, my son wasn't feeling well, so I couldn't make it back out to the forest. So at our area, he said at around quarter to 10, 10 o'clock, all of a sudden everything went quiet. So he stood up uh, off of his seat, and he uh, started his camera rolling. And Mike's the type of guy who doesn't really get scared in the forest. Yeah. And he got the hell out. He said the huffing and the puffing, you know, he thought, you know, he felt he was being watched by multiple areas and there was just strange noises that didn't seem to to correlate with other animal behavior. It was kind of interesting. And he's like, dude, I wanted you to come back so bad. He goes, but I just, 
I, I couldn't be out there alone anymore. And he goes, I got your text message when I got into cell phone range. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you know, but he did capture some pictures of orbs in the area. Yeah. That's not surprising. I mean, you're talking about, number one, they're not like any other animal in the forest because they're not an animal. They're a human hybrid. But that being said, they're high frequency, high high energy. That's what they are. When you have those, it also brings in other cryptids that are also the same way. They have that high vibration, that high energy, and they all flock to the same thing. An orb is its own entity, but it's an energy base. It's made of pure energy. And there has been actual film footage, hi, sweetheart, um, where you they got a large Sasquatch walking and trailing behind it up in the air like a little balloon and bouncing around was an orb. And I have, there's one that I'm close with and he'll make, I mean, he does this weird, crazy thing with his hand. There's this little orb ball. He tosses it up and down in the air like it's a a basketball or a baseball. So I'm not surprised. Where one is, you generally find everything else will flock there. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see that and feel that. And, I, and you know, it's it's one of those things, Robin, where, you know, I think the areas that, that a lot of people really try hard to find aren't as mm-hmm. difficult to find if you just pay attention. Because humanity states that we all want it to happen and now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because we think that we ever had a choice, and we don't. Exactly. We, we're never. It's all in their hands. Whether we want to put it there or not, that's where it's going to go, and they're going to do what they want to do when they want to do it. So when we're out in the forest looking for this creature, you know, our guest, John De- or Justin Decker, was uh, kind of – kind of uh, alluding to this. Do we have to go deep into the forest? Do we have to follow those lonely, thin deer trails? Do we have to do that? So why is so much of the community based on that? Because our community seems to think that they're going to hunt them. So I just got the State Farm Personal Price Plan on my car insurance. So you told your agent you play the bagpipes for your dog? What? No, I didn't get that. Personal, my agent just helped me create an affordable price just for me. Okay, let me show you what I've been working on. Hey, Buster! Contact local agent E.G. Warren Jr. in Gulfport today. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. If you have sleep apnea and struggle with CPAP, consider that CPAPs were invented in 1980. Do you even remember 1980? Everyone's house had one telephone. There were like four TV channels. Now for people who struggle with CPAP, there's Inspire. Inspire treats sleep apnea inside your body at the click of a remote. No mask, no hose, just sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Okay, like if you're going deer hunting, you're going to go all the way back in the woods if necessary to find where they're at. Again, not an animal. They're a human hybrid, which means they have the thought process of a human. 
if you want to get close to them, and I know this works because I know several people that I've talked to that have done it this way, and they all got results. It comes down to respect and not being overly pushy with them. You can't, these are not someone that you can push around. So if you're going to go out in the woods, walk out there, find a spot, and have them come to you. Have a bonfire, cook some food, or if you're not where you can build a bonfire, laughter. Laughter is a vibration. It's also an energy. It raises your frequency. So if you're out there laughing, they're going to pick up on it like you wouldn't believe. Let them come to you. When you go back too far, you are now in their world, but you don't know how close you are to their family units or the children. And that's not a way to make them your friend. So it comes down to you have a choice when you do have encounters. Do you want that positive experience that you're going to end up having it repeated and consistent contact forever? Or do you want that negative one that you might have that thrill of seeing one for 30 seconds, but now you're marked and you're going to have problems with them wherever you go. So you have to, when you go into the woods, and I mean, there's other ways to do it. I don't know at all. I'm not an expert, but what has worked for myself and countless others is go back halfway and then let them come to you. Play music. They love music. If you go on your apps in the phone or on YouTube, and you can do it right off your phone, get the singing bowls. They love the Tibetan singing bowls. Dear Lord, every time I play those, they step out of the wood line. But do these things. The reason they like the Tibetan singing bowls is they are a high vibration and frequency, which is the same thing. So that's why they like it. And you can go on YouTube and get them. You want the one that actually you can hear the swirls, not just the um, where they bang them like a gong. You want the whole swirls. Right. And there's a vibration to it, and they love it. Like for anybody that's doing active research, I highly recommend let Amazon be your friend and get a singing bowl because they're phenomenal, and they love them. I've never found a group that didn't like them. What other- and you can get them. From sixteen to twenty five dollars, it's not like they're, you know, uber expensive. But they sure they love the things. But there's things you can do, as my point, to encourage them closer to you. And you do that for a number of reasons. First of all, it makes them feel safer because they're the one moving towards you. You're not moving towards them. Second, it gives them their control back, which makes them feel safer. What what other third? It's a sign of respect. I apologize for cutting you off there. Oh, you're no big deal. I do that too. What other quirky things does Sasquatch like? Um, I think as hard as it is, like I, I think people, and this has happened to me as well, you go out in the woods and you're thinking like one of our people and you just can't. You have to you know, know what you're going out there to interact with, know a little bit about their culture. You know, like the white rocks is a sign of friendship. It's always good to leave a white rock for them. You know, certain bird feathers are the same way. You know, little tiny things that they're going to understand. And just don't push it. You may not have the day you want that first time, but now you're building a relationship so that you can continue to do this and continue to to interact. And, you know, all good things take time. And unfortunately, the time is decided by them, not us, never by us. I mean, you know, they told me years ago, you know, you're going to have to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Just tell me what to do. And they're like, no, we'll let you know when you're ready. And I'm like, no, seriously, I can handle this. And they're like, no, we'll let you know. 
and that's the way they live their lives. I mean, they are taught from the time they're born that everything is out to get them. And they've watched us try to hurt everything that we don't understand. And so we have to regain trust with them if you want it. That doesn't mean you bend to their will, because I've heard people say that before, and absolutely you don't do that. But it is a sign of respect. And if you want to get anywhere with them, that's the basis for any relationship with them is respect. And that respect, okay, is it, uh, let's say we we stumble upon a hot spot and mm-hmm. we decide, hey, we're going to set up our current and future areas here, much like I've done. Okay. Mm-hmm. what What's those simple signs of respect? Is it continuity? Is it uh, not wandering into areas where we shouldn't? Talk to me about that. I think both. I mean, when you go in there, first of all, if you're looking and you see the structures are right there, okay, that is not where your camp should be. That is not your ground zero. Move away from that. You can be near it, but I mean, you know, more than 10, 15 feet, but move away from it so you're not invading their space. Be in that area so it's accessible, but don't be in there invading their their space. You know, of course, you don't ever mess with the structures. You don't add to it. You don't take anything away from it. You don't destroy it. You leave it exactly as it is. It's a form of communication that they communicate between clans. So you leave it alone. So now you're in an area that you obviously are having signs, whether it's footprints or structures or what have you, you know, free snaps. You know you're in an area very near them. And then that's when you start working on letting them come to you. Don't invade them befriend them and because we are listed as the enemy because we keep trying to kill them we now have to prove to them that we're trustworthy enough to have those encounters and again i've heard people other people say it you know bend to their will don't ever bend to their will you don't bend to anybody's will so please just if you've heard that just disregard it but you do need to do the respect thing and I, I, this is how I explain it to people. When you're sitting at home in your living room, do you want a stranger to come kick open your door and barge in and look at everybody? Absolutely not. You're not going to, there's nothing you're not going to do to protect your family. It's the same thing. You know, as far as the structures, do you want somebody pulling in your driveway and kicking over all your lawn ornaments and tearing your yard apart? Of course not. So it's a respect thing. Come you know, on. just like when someone comes to our door, they knock before you know you open the door it's the same thing with them and that pulls a lot of weight another thing is talk to them in your mind as you're going actively in the woods does not matter if you can get mind speak and receive it it's it doesn't have to be a two-way street they can pick it up anyway and you go in there i can't i always tell them i come in peace i would like interaction if you can come in, in peace as well because you want to be specific if you don't spell it out like you're talking to a toddler, things can go bad. So you go out there and you just let them know. You're welcome to have interaction with me and visit me as long as you come with peace in your heart. So they know, because those are terms that they understand. That's why I would say to word it that way. And it's been proven time and time again. It works. You know, if you have a weapon with you because it's for your own protection against some of the wood, you know, the creatures in the woods, I get that. But tell them because they're going to know you have it anyway. So if you don't tell them and they find, you know, and they do a scan on you, which they always do, and they find that you have a weapon on them, but yet you didn't disclose it to them, you just got put on the bottom of the list. So be up front. 
yes, I have a weapon. No, it's not for you. This is to protect me from cougars and bears or whatever. And then usually they don't have too much of a problem because they're going to look at your intent and what you say. And as long as they match, you're good. They know your heart better than you do. Robin McRae is with us on the Cryptid Report. (laughs) A couple questions coming in from our audience. Dogman UK man wants to know, why do they choose to show themselves to you, Robin? Do you know, that's the million-dollar question. I'm not the only one that they do this to. There's lots of people. I just happen to be the one, you know, that's talking about it at the moment. Um, I think it has to do with my energy. I I also have very high um, vibration and energy, and they're drawn to that. You know, I I do a lot of work for them, and... You know, they go by your heart and whether or not you have a lot of heart energy, which everything I do, it comes from my heart. Doesn't mean I get it right all the time, but that's where it comes from. Any of the abilities I use, it comes from energy that gets pulled from my heart. And I think that's it. That's all that they've ever told me. If there's more to it, they're keeping it to themselves. Awesome. Let's go to another question here. Let's go to Red Creek. Robin, have you seen this? Oh, hi, Mike. Have you seen the Sasquatch shadow lately? Yeah, he was, yeah, actually he was out in the backyard. Today is what? Tuesday. It would have been the end of last week. I saw him walking through there. Yeah. He's, he's a love. He's my buddy. There, I've got two or three of them that I'm just excessively close with and I've been with close with them for years and he's one of them. He was the one that walked up to me out in the middle in broad daylight inside of my yard, out in the open, not in the woods. He walked out of the woods and walked up to me and stood like 10 feet from me. And just stood there and stared at me while I was staring at him for like 10, 15 minutes. And then my son was coming and he heard my son and he just cloaked right in front of my eyes. I was like, oh my God. It was awesome. Really awesome. Like, And it was weird because his hair, I don't know what he used on it, but it almost was like it was greasy. And it was slicked back. He reminded me of somebody in the early 60s. But he had, he was um, Caucasian skin tone, but... The hair he had on his face was very, very short, and it covered everything. His eyelids, there was nowhere on his face that didn't have this little tiny, short, very, very, very short white hair. And his face was shaped much more human-looking as his ears were. He was incredible. All right, let's go to one more question here from Pixie Lara. Do the Sasquatch children like toys, and would something like a handmade corn husk doll be appropriate for leaving for them actually that would be beautiful and yes they do like toys as far as those um corn husk dolls i have a friend that does it with the grasses and they love it absolutely love it and when you look at these corn husk dolls not only i mean you're talking about something that people made hundreds of years ago and not only you know the Native Americans did it. We did it. And they all exchanged with the Sasquatch. So this is something that would be familiar to them that they would like. And they also, they make toys for their kids. Like they'll take, you know, clay with feathers or whatever in it and make balls for them. And I would not be surprised if they did something, maybe not a doll, but something with the corn husk like that when they made toys for their kids. So I think that would be wonderful. Awesome. Brilliant idea. See if we can fit one more question in here from Debster. Does Bigfoot see human women as attractive? 
Um, actually, both male and female Sasquatch will at some time, not all the time. It's it's forbidden. It's against their laws. But it is entirely possible and has happened in the past where both the men and the women Sasquatch have got attracted to our our people. Yes. You know, it, it's against the laws. That, that's kind of interesting you say that because I know up here on the Highway of Tears, I've talked to some First Nations people who believe that many of those women have been taken as Sasquatch wives. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, hundreds of years ago, there are different reports of them stealing the women and children from the Native Americans. Now, what's really, you know, everybody assumes it's always like the male Sasquatch going after our human women. But the reality is there seems to be, I, I've worked with several cases that this has happened. And for whatever reason, and it could just be the way it landed, is there are more men that the women get attracted to. But the males can be really dangerous because they will go after our type of human women. So it goes with both sexes is my point. And, yeah, it's a very real thing. And it's very unfortunate, too, because there have been cases where a male Sasquatch has attacked a female and raped one of our people and raped her. And, you know, it's bad enough that the acts happen, but because of the size difference, it can turn deadly really easy. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it, you know, it doesn't happen a lot. But yes, it does happen. All right, Ro- Robin McRae and the Cryptid Report continues <laughs> right <laughs> after this on Spaced Out Radio. More questions about the big man in the forest when we return <laughs> on the Mighty Sor. Stay tuned. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. I have, you're going to have to, if you, whenever you have time, which you never have, but if you do, send me the dates for next year for you because I want to try to go. You got a pen on you? Uh, let me find actually, one. Actually, I'll just text you right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in Florida at my friend's house right now. So <laughs> I'm just kind of looking around for a pen. Um, but yeah, I'd like to try to go. Is it good? It's going to be in Vegas again? No, we're doing Reno this year. Okay, well, either one. It's still in the States, so it'll be easier to get to. There you go. But yeah, I, I want to try to come this year. Yeah, you're going to have fun. You're yeah, gonna... and I can't wait to see you in April. I know. I know. I need a headshot and a bio from you, Mr. Because we're starting advertising already. All right. Um, and we're gonna, we've got to get your mug and your information up on the website, too. All so right. I've got to get that together. Send you the old mug right now. <laughs> but you got to write a bio that you want for us. I got a bio. Like, okay, what, kind, cool. what kind of bio do you need? Just anything about yourself that you want up on the website. Hmm. Because we we got to promote everybody. We had a, a meeting um, with the Tourism Bureau in Nebraska the other day on it, and we're going to get all the social media and all the advertisements started. So it's going to be so much fun. What day are you coming in? 
are you going to come wait and come in like the day before the conference? Because Duke was talking about having you come in a little bit early. Whatever day you want, you whatever day you want me there. Okay, I mean we're bringing everybody in on Thursday, but if you think you want extra time and you want to come early, I can book your flight. You know, for what whatever day. Yeah, because we go home Sunday, right? Yeah. 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 An extra day would be okay. He was talking about getting everybody together to go out in the woods. I They went last year and they had a blast. I wanted to go, but I was helping get ready for the conference, so I couldn't. So I don't know. We'll see if I can get over there this time. Okay, I've sent you a picture. Awesome. And then grab you the bio. Where do you see these Sasquatch statues that Harriet made? Oh, my God, they're so cool looking. The full bodies of them and everything, we're going to have them set up so people can get pictures with them. And she's got them all over. She Well, she's got some in her museum, but she's also got them at the hotel now that we're booking everybody at. And at the convention hall, there's going to be one. It's going to be fun. All right. I've sent it all to you. Uh, you're the best. Thank you. No problem. That's how I roll. The roundup with everybody getting it together so we can get it all up. Perfect. Yeah, I, I definitely want to try to uh, go to your thing this year. Nice. Looks like you guys were having a blast last year. We did. We did. Yes, Peppa H. My bio reads sexy beard 50 times. Dave needs to take a picture of a certain hat. Which one? Which one? This one? I don't know. That one hat you've got is really cool. Is that it? Yeah, you kind of look good in that one. I, I got to say. Is that? The, yeah. Is that the hat he's talking about? Because that one looks good. I, I don't know. Is that the one, Pixie? Is that the one you're talking about? Witchy, how are you? The one I knitted? Oh, yes. No, I got that upstairs. I know. I'm saving that for winter. That's what I'm saving it for, my dear. Yes. Believe it or not, it is on the corner of my mirror waiting for winter. (laughs) I love it. She handmade me a Sasquatch toque. Or beanie, oh, as wow. you call I it. bet you that. You know what? You're going to have to bring it on air so we can see it. I will. It's just too warm right now because it's that yeah. thick, thick wool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds nice, though. She did an amazing job on it. Amazing. All right. We got 15 seconds. <clears throat> And 10 seconds. Questions for Robin. Put them in capital letters, if you don't mind. And here we go. Dun, dun, dun.
Here we go with the final half hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, you can check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can get us on any major podcast format. Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and every major podcast network in between. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go with Robin McRae as we continue on with the cryptid report happening now. And Robin, we're talking about the kind of the attitude of Sasquatch here a little bit. What fires them up? What makes them happy? What angers them? thing you can do is get anywhere near one of the kids. I mean, that is just, (laughs) that's not going to go well at all. Um, the whole thing with them, it comes, and I sound like a broken record, it's the respect thing. Like, go into their areas respectfully. You're not going to be... Experience the joy of home sweet hosting with help from Ashley. Get your home ready for company with guest-approved essentials now starting at just $9.99.99. And right now you can save on accessories store-wide to finish every look. Plus, take advantage of low monthly payments with 60-month special financing in-store only. Visit your local Ashley store to shop and save today. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax and delivery required. See store for details. Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Visit us at asuonline.asu.edu to learn more trash in their stuff you're not going to be leaving trash all over in there um try to like i said you don't have to be able to hear mine speak to give it to them talk to them let let them know you're there in friendship they really and truly you know there are bad ones i will never ever tell anybody they're all good because they aren't we don't have all good people and neither do do they but there's more good than bad and the good ones are very receptive, but it's a, it, it's not that you have to bow down to them. It's a mutual respect, you know, a mutual respect based on the fact that they're, they're a type of a human and they're trying to live their life with their own culture, just like we are. And when you meet them 50-50, because they do believe in that 50-50 relationship, then you have something that's workable. But there are things, I mean, there's triggers, breaking their things, invading their space, getting too close to them, whether it's accidentally or not. They don't want to feel caged in. They That terrifies them. That's why it's always better to get them to come to you and interact with you and let them feel like they have that choice because it makes them feel more uh, secure. And then that way they're going to respond better. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can totally Totally see that. Okay, let's get to some more audience questions. Uh, Witchy wants to know, 
which he's down in New Zealand. Have you heard any recent accounts of the Bodmin Moor Beast? I haven't. Um, there isn't a lot that comes out about that, surprisingly. I thought there would be more than what I, I mean, I've heard very little. And I haven't seen anything come up about that, and I can't tell you how long. She might. She would probably get more information on her side than I would hear, but I haven't heard anything. Wow. Okay. For I've never heard of this. What is this case? The only one I ever heard about was Morbies, but I don't. I don't know if it's the same thing as this. She would know. Like I said, I'm not that familiar with that one. We don't get a lot of information on that here. I wish we did. Okay. Let's move on then. Let's go to Cat Chaser. Robin, do you talk with Bigfoot mentally or clicking? I mean, clicking. I'm gonna. I, I I'm telepathic. I do mind speak with them, and they also um, verbally speak. They can speak English as well as their language and any other language they choose to do. But I speak telepathically with them and verbally. All right, let's uh, move on here. Let's go to Dogface Simon in Australia. Robin, out of the box question. How come you're always so cheerful? I admire that. <laughs> because you guys are always so nice when I'm on here. It's like old home week. I try to be cheerful. I don't always succeed at it, I will be honest. But I do make an effort. But thank you, sweetie. Okay, let's continue here. Witchy wants to know, have you ever heard of the Tanawa? No, I haven't. Now I'm going to go and get off of here. I'm going to like, which I'm going to be Googling everything under the sun. We don't, like I said, a lot of the out of the country stuff, it's harder to get info over here. Like, you know, Yowie's, that kind of thing, or, you know, up in the Himalayas, we tend to get more of that. But no, I've not heard of that. I'm sorry, sweetheart. Can you telepathically communicate with any cryptid or is it just Sasquatch? I can telepathically speak with anything i do dogs cats trees rocks all the cryptids the ets if they are willing the ghosts any if they're willing to talk to me i can talk to them what's the creepiest encounter you've had maybe not with a sasquatch but with something else i did a show with somebody and basically it was old case murders and i would connect with the spirits to see whether or not how that person actually passed or the person that was locked up for their crime or not locked up, but there's a few of them where the guy had died that they thought did it. And I would talk to them. And we actually, one night, um, the person that I was speaking with actually did commit the crime. And it literally, this thing came back at me. I was sitting there and we were shooting the show and I felt something try to strangle me. And I could physically feel it. And then at the same time, all the electronics from the filming just went wonky. Absolutely went crazy. And I, you know, I did the same thing I do if I have to worry about an entity or an ET or a cryptid coming after me. I do the energy work and pass it off. It's kind of like you just blast it. And I did that and it stopped and you could hear it running across the floor in the house. And when we got done and they replayed the footage back, you could hear this guy talking in it, and it wasn't pleasant. Oh, my. Yeah, spirits can be ugly sometimes, can't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's always important that we remember there's good and bad in absolutely everything. 
Mm-hmm. It's not just one way. And we really and truly wouldn't want it just one way because even if you chose to have everybody happy, the world isn't based like that. You can't keep that up all the time because it just it doesn't create the balance. You have to have that balance. So, yeah, but we it is. It's the same thing for any of the cryptids, the ETs or whatever. There is good and bad and everything. Like, I've dealt with ETs since I was a baby. And I've dealt with good ones and I've dealt with the bad ones. It's not any different than anything else. There's good and bad. What What is your perception of people who say, you know, that ETs are all bad or or Dogman is a vicious hellhound or something? Yeah, wrong? that really irritates me with the Dogman because they've helped me out a few times. So, you know, I, I kind of, I, I guess what I just tell people is they have to open their minds and it's not just, you know, when you go to look up facts on Bigfoot, Dogman, or whatever, what sells are the problems. The good stuff doesn't sell. So that's not normally publicized. And there are people that will comment or post about the good things that the Bigfoots and the Dogmans have done. But not as much as if they do one thing out of line regardless of how severe it is, that is front page news all over. So you hear about that more. And so I really, I try to tell people that, yeah, there's bad things that have been done, but look at what our people do. As far as I'm concerned, our humans are the worser species. You know, we do more damage than anybody else, including to our own selves. And so I try to get it in perspective for people. Like I don't try to convince anybody of anything. I respect everybody's right to believe what they want. I do. Mine is based on what I've been taught, what I've experienced, and what has happened my entire life. I didn't get my information from books or from other people. It's from the actual cryptids. And there are some that are good and there are some that are bad. And you just have to open your mind to the possibilities that things are not always as we sometimes think, that there's more to it. Okay. Uh, Witchy, by the way, thank you. The Tanawa are Maori, or pardon me, Maori mythology. He says oh, wow. you, you'll really enjoy reading about it. Thank you so much. I will take a look at that. You know, wonderful. Thanks, sweetie. I got to tell you, the whole Maori tribe, uh, First Nations of, of New Zealand. I literally. I don't know if you've done this or not. This I know this is off topic or anything like that. But if you haven't gone on YouTube and watched the hakas that they do before uh, rugby games or to celebrate a wedding or the birth of a child or, or a celebration of a school elder or something like that, it is one of the most emotionally charged events I have ever seen in my life. And I don't know much about the Hakka or how it started. I believe it was it was when they were going to battle that they would, you know, try to scare off people with the Hakka. Okay, but it is beautiful. And and if you get the chance, go on YouTube right after this show and just type in Hakka, H A K A. It is, there's no words for it. And if if you don't get emotional 
from or charged up from watching one of these things. Like I remember one I watched uh, where the family did a haka in order to welcome their daughter's new husband into the family. And everybody was like crying afterwards because it was just so emotional. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is. I'm gonna have to look that up. Oh, it's it's absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And uh, I would love to see one live, whether it's a rugby game or just something. I would just love to see one live. Just looks incredible. Anyways, let's talk some Sasquatch here. <laughs> A lot of times they only leave one footprint. How do they get away with this? Oh, I'm going to tell you and you're going to think I'm nuts. Um, you know, to begin with, it depends on the size of the individual. A lot of times we think that there's one and there's actually another one hidden in the grass or whatever. But they are able to levitate. So occasionally you will get one footprint. I physically have seen it happen more than once. And so you'll see one footprint and then you don't find another. It, it's just, it's gone. Or, you know, if they're doing levitation or cloaking or whatever, and they put one foot in, they also, another theory that is very possible is, you know, the portals. There are portals that are anchored that aren't going anywhere. There's also portals that aren't anchored that can be floating wherever. But then I've also watched as other people have as well, where they can just like open up a portal right in front of them and on the ground. And so it could be one foot because you're watching them step in, but then there's no previous footprints other than that one footprint. So I tend to believe it's more the levitation. Okay. So that leaves me to a follow up. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of researchers about this and a lot of them believe Robin or cannot understand, I should say, why at least 90% of those one single prints you find are always the right foot. You know, I noticed that, and I wish I knew, Dave. I wish I knew. Um, I really don't know why it's always the white foot, the right foot. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of them that that's the foot, and I wish I knew. You know, I mean, even to guess at it, to me, you know, other than the way they distribute their weight, maybe they're normally, you know, where they push more down on the right, but I don't know. But you're right. A lot of them come out with that. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. No, but it doesn't. But I tell you, nothing with them does. And every time you get an answer to a question, 10 more appear. And it's always like if we try to guess the answers on our own, it's never correct. Dogman UK wants to know, if you had evidence, would you show it to all or protect them and their area, Robin? Number one, it would, I would never, absolutely never give out an area. Never. Um, when I take photographs, I make sure that the filter that shows location isn't even imprinted in the photo. So that would be first and foremost. I have protected these things since I was a small child. So as far as would I do anything that would endanger them, not a chance in God's green acre, not for any amount of money. That being said, I, you know, I come out with this information and I have had like evidence tested and stuff. Everybody is like, oh, you just want to be out on, on these shows. It has nothing to do with me. This has never had anything to do with me. It has to do with them. They were the ones that five years ago said, you need to go and teach people about us. 
And I've done that. I don't go on anybody's shows without clearing it with them because there's some places they don't want their information. But when they come to me and say, okay, you can stop teaching about us now, then I'm gone. I won't be on air anymore because it's their information. It's what they wanted me to do. So depending on the arena and the platform, which Dave, thank you because you're always so great about letting me do this here. You're welcome. Uh, But that depends on what information comes out. I've gone to conferences and it's like, I'll go to talk and they get in my head and they completely take over and I'm spewing out all this information. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Nobody needs to know this. And they're like, yes, they do. And then I have other times where they just, they let me teach what I'm supposed to teach. So yeah, it would depend on the evidence. Uh, again, I will do anything I have to do to keep them safe. I put myself in harm's way to keep them safe my entire life. I've lost family. I've lost friends. I mean, I still have a lot of family, but the thing is, is there's a cost to having a deep-seated relationship with them, and I, I pay it on a regular basis. And so, you know, what would I do to keep them safe? Anything. Hmm. Robin, what do you? What is the message you most want people to know about these cryptids? Not just Sasquatch, but all of it. That. I think we're going to find out that there's human lineage in all of them because of the way they're created. But I think rather than kill what we don't understand, we start a basis point of learning about them. I'm not the only one that knows about them. There's thousands of people that do. And I just think we need to listen more to the fact that maybe some of this stuff, yes, it sounds wild and it's way out of the box, but it doesn't matter how far out of the box it is, is if it's the truth. And, you know, I would encourage everybody, learn about these things before you start going out there and intentionally trying to work with them and befriend them because there's a right way to do it and a wrong way. The wrong way gets you nothing other than terrified and possibly hurt. But the right way, and you've got a lifetime relationship. I mean, there's, like I said, I'm a perfect example of that. And there are hundreds of thousands more. I'm not anything special. They just came to me when I was a toddler. That's it. And, you know, you can really, if you do it the right way, it can be the greatest ride of your life. You get to see a part of the world that very few people don't get to. It's like I look at all the craziness that goes on with me and the death threats and everything else and the misery that it has caused at times. I would never trade it. Never. I get to see a part of the world that most people wish they could and can't. And so if by me teaching people what I can, and again, I'm not an expert, but if I can teach people what I can so that they can experience the same thing, I will do it every single time. Two minutes, two and a half minutes to go, Robin. You know, you have kind of a protection bond with these mm-hmm. creatures, okay? Yep. How do they protect you? Oh, my gosh. They've saved my life six times. So, yeah, yeah, they are really good at protecting me. I, you know, I feel safer with them than I do anybody else. I've had dogmen help me. I've had the Sasquatch help me. Um, I have had different ETs that have helped. And I'm very blessed, very, very blessed. And, I mean, anything from I was falling off a cliff when one got me up, and then another time I got attacked by bad ETs, ended up in intensive care, Bottom line, I wasn't supposed to live. 12 hours later, I was not only healed, but I was home in less than 24 hours. And so 
I've been very blessed. I fell off um, a drop off and got, they caught me, you know, I could have really gotten seriously injured. So there's been a lot of times in a lot of ways. Um, they've warned me before I have had visits from government. And I mean, they really, I think it, it's pretty much an even keel. I protect them and they protect me. Have you ever been in a situation where another cryptid was about to harm you and they stepped in? Yes. We had um, a, it was just, you know, like I said, there's good and bad and everything. The dogmans I always interacted with were really good, but this one wasn't overly nice. And it came on the property and they literally, they told me to, to run to the house and I didn't even know it was out there. And I said, why? And they showed me a picture of it. So I ran towards the house and they just pelted this thing with rocks. They ran it out of there. They've been really, really good. I, I literally have no complaints. Other than the fact that when the adolescents kept playing on the roof and I had to go out there at 2 in the morning and, you know, do the whole mom thing. You will get your hairy asses off my roof and you will do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like they I, they got down. I was like, thank God they didn't call the bluff because what was I going to do about it, you know. But, um, yeah, for the most part. We've had a few mishaps where things have gotten broken, but it's like, you know, bam, bam, rubble on the Flintstones. They don't know they're destroying. They want it in the garage because the mini pigs were in their pen in there and the dogs were in their kennels. So they just pushed open the bottom of the garage door, bent the roller all to hell off the track, busted the track, went in and saw them all, and they were having fun. Robin, I'm going to say a big thank you for coming on Spaced Out Radio again this week for Anytime. the time. You were amazing as per usual, my dear. Thank you so much. And you guys, I'm hoping you had a good time. Oh, it's we, always fun on here. It is always fun because we enjoy your company around here. Oh, I love you guys. You're always so nice. Yes. Give One the, of my favorite shows. Quickly, 10 seconds. Give the dates to the Nebraska Conference. We have April 26th and 27th of 2024. We, the website is up, but we're updating it, so probably within the next week or so. If you want to buy tickets early, it's a little bit cheaper. If you need hotel recommendations, we can get it for you. All right, Robin McRae, everybody. We appreciate it as we're going to close this thing out. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, the Space Travelers Club, and on X at Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyrighted by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. 
Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them too. Good night. Experience the joy of home sweet hosting with help from Ashley. Get your home ready for company with guest approved essentials now starting at just $999.99. And right now you can save on accessories store wide to finish every look. Plus, take advantage of low monthly payments with 60 month special financing in store only. Visit your local Ashley store to shop and save today. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required, minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery required. See store for details. Hear that? That's the sound of your money slacking. Make it work harder for you at Sunbelt Federal Credit Union. Featuring high-yield certificates of deposit with just a $500 minimum deposit. Like 10 months with 5.27% annual percentage yield. And 18 months with 5.33% annual percentage yield. Visit your nearest Sunbelt branch or go to sunbeltfcu.org. SFCU is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. 